Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 3,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 100 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Hey guys, it's Alex, and the Retro Wrestling Podcast is proud to be teaming up with powerslam.tv, and you can get a free 30-month trial if you enter the promo code RETROWRESTLING when you sign up today. There's over 4,000 hours of great content from various independent promotions across the globe. I've been checking out the service the last few days, and it's pretty excellent. I downloaded the app to my phone. I'm able to Chromecast it to my TV and check out some great stuff that I really have never seen before. If you're tired of going to Daily Motion or trying to find hard-to-find clips, you can find them at powerslam.tv, and we'd love for you to use the promo code RETROWRESTLING at checkout. It's powerslam.tv. Less than an hour from an icon of democracy and the geographic center of these United States, through the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota, a small town of 6,500 people lies in wait. Since 1938, enthusiasts have gathered here for something more than just riding a machine between your legs. It is known simply as Sturgis, the motorcycle rally of the world. A quarter of a million bikers are jammed into this small town for racing, festivities, and the biggest biker party on the planet. New to the mix this year, World Championship Wrestling arrives, proving that this annual event will truly be hog wild. Welcome to episode 101 of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, Christmas is fast approaching. And I want to go ahead and give you your Christmas presents because I got one for myself. And I can't use mine unless you have yours. So it's time to shower you in gifts, Patrick. All right, I'm with you. As we have had 100 episodes, it's Christmas time. I missed your birthday, but now now I can make it right. Now, my first item for you is a very strange item, okay? Hi. Because it's a WWE-branded item, okay. but it's found at Bed Bath & Beyond. No fucking way. If you got me what I think you got me, I got you the exact same one. Okay, well, then, yes, it is. The Steel the... Cage Challenge. Okay, yes. well, yes, so we have the... <laughs> We were on the same wavelength. It's a very strange item. It is awesome, right? It's very strange for a number of reasons because 
Well, number one, it's at Bed Bath and Beyond. Right. And it's a WWE item. Right. Which when I bought that, by the way, the lady said, "Is this on a wedding registry?" And I just laughed. I can't believe <laughs> if you if this is on your wedding registry, you're getting divorced. Uh, I'm going to give you a hundred percent guarantee that you're getting divorced. So this is the NES game, Steel Cage Challenge, which someone has taken and what they call it in video gaming is a homebrew what they have done is taken the original game and homebrewed it and replaced wrestlers and replaced the logo if you remember hogan brother was originally the guy on the main screen and the the main guy yeah they replaced him with warrior they replaced a lot of the wrestlers with other wrestlers like right it's a shitty game by the way so i'm not going to expect you we have 2k19 to sit around and play and i'm giving you an NES game from the I, 80s. I apologize by letting it slip, but I actually saw this and went and got you one. I saw this on Twitter, and I was just so amazed that this exists because I, it's yes, so weird. Yes. It's bizarre, and the box itself is bizarre, and everything about it is weird. Now, unfortunately for you, Patrick, the Bed Bath & Beyond did not have in stock when I went there the WWE logo toaster, which is available on their website, or the WWE branded waffle maker. So you can make wow. title belts that that are waffles, basically. So that is one part. That's not Dude, much. That's just that kind is, of a... That is awesome. That's sure. just kind of a throwaway gift. I didn't get you the batteries for it, by the way. It takes three no AA batteries, but it's one of these plug-and-play games for your TV. It's That's not awesome. It's not HDMI compatible. It's just the old yellow cord. When when I went, they only had one. So I was actually torn with, do I keep this for myself or do I wrap it and give it to Alex? So I wrapped it. It's under the tree. I'm going to bring it to you next weekend. Okay, well, I didn't bother wrapping any of my no, gifts for you. But this is just a bizarre item. I don't think that you and I will spend a lot of time playing this. Did you already, by the way, did you get one for yourself? No, I didn't get one for myself. I actually regretted not getting one for myself, so I'm glad that you're you... You're getting... That is insane. That is awesome, though. That's really sad that you and I are on the exact same exact way. Exact same wavelength. <laughs> that is insane. But my next item for you is my actual gift, and it's a birthday slash Christmas present because they weren't easy to come by. They weren't... It, it was actually difficult for me to get one of these because the first website I went to to try to get one of these, they canceled my order without any explanation. They just said canceled, and there wasn't a way to appeal it and say explain why I needed this order. They just said, fuck you, you're not getting this thing. So I went to another website and got it, but this was in like November. This was before your birthday because I thought it would be ready by your birthday, but no, it took them... A while to make it. Patrick, you are now officially part of the Retro Wrestling Podcasting crew. Dude. As we now have branded hoodies. That's so badass, bro. You and I both, we can we can be Twinkies now as we both have Retro Wrestling Podcast hoodies. I got... Dude, that's so awesome, And they're actually man. really soft on the inside. Well, that's so not cool. on the hood part, but we can show the world our brand... And uh, That's awesome, we can walk around in our own merch like true carnies. And so uh, the logo is kind of shitty. Uh, it, it's been kind of shitty, but it's our logo. So I put it on there because it's, like it's got a little bit of the white outline around the bottom. But I paid a whole five dollars for the logo. So uh, I, I still to... like the uh, I like our logo. Yeah, so there you go. You're all set to go. Dude, that is awesome. I really that's dude. 
Seriously. You've got your employee shirt now, so I expect you to wear your uniform to work. I will. Absolutely. But anyway, so I tried to get these made from one website that that made, you can make custom shirts or whatever. And they canceled my order and said, and like sent me to the rules and it was like, oh, you can't use logos or whatever. But if I could have just explained to them, it's our logo. It's not like I stole someone's logo or whatever. It's not like I got the Nike logo and said, oh, I'm just going to make my own Nike shit or whatever. So the place I ended up getting them from, it's logosportswear.com. They're not a sponsor or anything, but that's if you if you your own if you have your own podcast or your own if you want to make something custom, I recommend them because they came through, but it took a little while. I don't know how well they'll hold up in the washing machine, but I got us the biggest sizes so that way when they shrink or we get fatter, of course, but they'll still they'll still be okay. That's so awesome, dude. That's really that's awesome. So there you go. So I am blown away. I really truly am. Yeah. I will have yours next week. I didn't realize we were doing it today. Oh no, no. I I or just I wanted had it. I just wanted to give you your jacket cuz I want to wear mine right. tomorrow cuz I'm I'm currently wearing a Samoa Joe hoodie. I'd much rather wear my own hoodie. Well, yeah. So, but I couldn't wear my own hoodie without you having yours. I See, now bad. we got to get shirts made and we got to get everything, man. Having your own shit printed is a little pricey. It's, is it? It's I don't know. If you don't sell them, I mean, I look at our numbers. We have we have a good audience, but we don't right. have 10,000 listeners. So if I was to get t-shirts printed or whatever, you and I would be sitting on these boxes of t-shirts until we're 90 years old and saying, I'll wear a new one every day, every year. Wow. That's good. Yeah. Maybe eventually we're working on that. I so. think we, I mean, we it doesn't have to be a ton. We can get a couple made and see what happens. Yeah. For us. I, I can I, take them to shows with me, see what happens, you know? Only if someone is shirtless, they will need a shirt. So they can they can buy if you buy an autograph from me, you get a free shirt. How's that sound? That's a great idea. Yeah, if your autographs are thirty five dollars a piece, because damn, got to make that profit, right? Merry Christmas. Uh, I really, dude, I'm blown away. I hope you cherish your hoodie. Absolutely, I'm putting this shit on as I walk out the door. Yeah, as you go into the cold, cold winter months ahead, I hope you cherish your retro wrestling podcast hoodie. It's two of a kind. There's only a, one other one in existence. That's true. So. That's true. It's very rare. Very limited edition. So, outside of our Christmas presents, what do you have for us from the world of pro wrestling? This I found completely hilarious and really just this is awesome. A young kid in Mexico... I'm assuming Mexico City, I could be wrong, but somewhere in the outskirts, went viral in a video as he is dressed up like La Parca. And you and I, man, WCW days, La Parca was the shit. I he was loved, the chairman of I WCW. Loved, I loved La Parca. He was awesome. And so this caught my eye, this little kid. The video went viral Triple A fell in love with it. They have gave him a name, and he is booked. Yes, you heard me right. This little kid, who will now be known as La Parquita de TJ. So I'm assuming his real name's TJ. I could be wrong. But La Parquita de TJ will be booked for Triple A wrestling events. And he's like a 12-year-old? No, he's like six. 
Oh, he's six. Okay, wonderful. He's like, there's not an actual age, but he's a very small boy. I only caution them against booking a kid because Izzy, who's Bailey's biggest fan, the little girl, she got booked for a pro wrestling match earlier this year. Now, it wasn't anything. She wasn't in there doing tombstone pile drivers or taking Canadian destroyers. She did a stupid match in the middle of an indie wrestling ring. And this caused all the WWE wrestlers to go online and say kids shouldn't be in the ring. This is the same company that put Nicholas in the ring at WrestleMania. They're just, because it was the Bailey kid, they're pissed off that they didn't get... Well, and it's also the company line, don't try this at home. We don't want you trying wrestling. Now, we want you watching us, playing our video games, emulating us. Mick Foley got into pro wrestling after doing wrestling in his backyard, we don't want you to do it. So they were all forced by the company line. Right. Oh, to say that. But yet they're they're hypocrites because they had Nicholas in the ring at WrestleMania. Look, kids in the ring, as long as there's nothing crazy going on, I don't see a problem in it. It's every kid's dream to be a pro wrestler if they're a pro wrestling fan. Exactly. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. There's the six-year-old kid is not going to be booked to take a razor's edge onto a table. He's going to no. be in the ring for a comedy spot for 15 minutes or whatever. Right. It's going to make his day. He's going to move along, and that's fine. I, I just don't see a problem in this. I don't either. I think it's I think it's really awesome because he has a creative, handmade LaParka Halloween costume, I'm assuming. Um, He's a LaParka cosplayer. He loves yeah, LaParka. It really, I mean, it is to the T. That's what's crazy about it. So... He's put a lot of effort into this, and now he's getting to to reap his you know his benefits and get his reward for for showing how true of a fan he really is. So I just kudos to him, man. It's awesome. No, um, I I think it's nice for wrestling companies, indie companies, or the WWE to reward. This is their target market because if you can get a kid to like wrestling young, he's probably going to stick with it or she's going to stick with it. Right. So I I just don't see the problem in it, you know, as long as you're not doing any, you know, flaming table spot, you're going to be fine. So, whatever. You know, people that shit on that, you can't give up one segment in your indie show to to put a kid on there, whatever. I mean, we waste so much time in wrestling doing other crap, so good for this kid, good for the company that's booking him. It's nothing but positive attention, and younger people really love social media influencers, is what they're called, but, you know, YouTube stars. People don't take in television like we did. People aren't just limited to cable TV or or network TV, and so kids that have all this free time fall in love with these social media stars, and to take someone that they other kids might recognize and put them in the ring or put them on your show... That's, That's just smart great. business. Yeah. Like, Logan Paul and Jake Paul, these are people that I have no idea what the fuck they do. PewDiePie, he's a video game reviewer. I've never watched one of his fucking videos. But these people make millions and millions of dollars and have millions and millions of views on their videos. Right. There was a kid in the news recently, all he does is test out toys, and he made $22 million this year because he got that many views. He's like eight years old. And he just opens toys and plays with them on videos. But kids love this shit. So it's just good business to book someone like that. That Damn, we're in the wrong business, dude. Uh, yeah, well, if we were like eight years... If, if someone wanted to pay to see you open Steel Cage Challenge, I think it'd be a, a different uh, world. Well, I mean, everybody in. would pay to see that. 
What's kind of odd about that, going back to Steel Cage Challenge for a Dude, minute. it's awesome, yeah. Well, no, it's, it's the 25th anniversary. It was released in 1992, so it's actually 26 years, even though the copyright is 2018. What's weird about it, so it's a plug, it's the plug-and-play thing with the joystick controller. Well, it was an NES game, so you didn't have right. a joystick controller. All right. Another, just an observation about this thing. Anyway. I had one on my old-school big Game Boy. I had the small, the black-and-white Game Boy. Oh, with the, the, well, it was really like green and black. Yeah, like green and black. Yeah. Wow, that must have been pretty sad. Yeah. So I believe this it or is not, an upgrade for believe you. it or not, I am pumped that I now have this for my giant HD TV that I can play. Well, it'll be in standard def. Sorry. But. I don't care. It's still in a giant form TV. It's awesome. Three AA batteries but, required. So, but back to it, because I am curious. I did notice that they replaced Hogan with Warrior. But you said they added other people into it? So the Mountie was replaced with Razor Ramon. Ten wrestlers are playable. All versions of the game feature Hogan, Savage, DiBiase, IRS. So he was in the original. Never mind. Bret Hart, The Undertaker. Yeah. Then there was Jake Roberts, Sid Justice, Roddy Piper, and the Mountie. So the TV game... Okay, so the only two people that were replaced is Hogan and the Mountie. Hogan and the Mountie, yeah. The Mountie, the Mountie, not on good terms with the company, I guess. So, the Mountie is. Well, I don't know why not. His brother does the commentary for him, but the Mountie is he still working there? Oh yeah, yeah. I think yeah, he does the uh, the French French commentary. Yeah. So yeah, the Mountie got replaced with Razor Ramon, but the rest of the so Hogan and and Mountie got the axe. Yeah. But Hogan, I mean, since he was the cover. He was the title screen character, Hogan was, so yeah. he got he got the real shaft and all this. And now he's back with the company, so they just missed it by that much. They could have just right? left it all alone. Or could have just added a couple of people, too. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they could have added the entire 2K19 roster to this thing, probably. Oh, so I don't know. Anyway. We could have added to- Marty, because... Oh, dude, I would love to have had Marty. Marty was in town uh, a few days ago. He was at the gym. He was at workout anytime. And I didn't go see him, of course, because I really don't care for Marty Jannetty. But one of my coworkers went and got me a Marty Jannetty autograph. So this person that I've shat on so many times in this podcast, now I have an autograph from him. And what's so sad about it is it's a picture of him and Sean. It's never, there's not just a solo Marty picture available. It's always Sean to the left, Marty on the right. And so I've got a Marty Jannetty autograph. And the picture is pixelated. Yeah. It looks like he printed them that morning at Kinko's or whatever. Yeah. So it's pretty sad, but I the, have a Marty Jannetty autograph. So was he working out or was he just there for some autograph signing? He was just there for an autograph signing. I, I don't think he was actually working out. I think I think it was like the Dayton workout anytime, too. So it was like a really... Dayton? Yeah. Wow. Hey, man, if they pay you money. Listen, guys, Dayton, let's explain this. Dayton, oh, Dayton, Tennessee. Yeah, Dayton, Tennessee is like. A very small town. It's very small with nothing but farmers all the way around it. It's about 45 minutes north of here from Chattanooga. Which I have family in Dayton. I love Dayton. Don't get me wrong. Well, but we worked there very briefly. We did. We worked there very briefly. But um, I just don't see that being a Marty Jannetty town there. Hey, if they pay money, (laughs) he'll show up. Okay, behind the scenes, just because you brought that up, behind the scenes, Marty is a friend of mine. 
And so I've asked numerous times, you know, hey, Alex, would you like Marty to be a special guest on the radio show? No, and I, Marty's like, no. Or, no, Alex. I shit on it all the time. <laughs> so it's not just on the radio. It's it's actually while these mics are off, he still is doing it. So that's even yeah, funnier. Yeah, I don't like Marty. That's I, even funnier. Marty and Ed Leslie are like in the same category with me. <laughs> like just people that I don't want to... It's like Marty, Ed Leslie, Virgil are all in like the same bubble to me of like people like, no, I just don't want anything to do with them. But anyway, we've gotten way off track. So have, uh, sorry. what's next in the world of news? Uh, Cody and the Young Bucks are done with Ring of Honor. That's right. Their contracts are up at the end of the year, but they went ahead and did the last Ring of Honor pay-per-view, which was Final Battle. And they had their swan song, basically, and they... Cody, his wife, and the Bucks have all tweeted these goodbyes to the company. And Marty Skrull, who's a part of the Elite, is still under contract with Ring of Honor for one more year. So he introduced his new friends, Brody King and PCO, Pierre Carl Ouellet. And he has formed a new stable in Ring of Honor. So we'll see how that goes. But now the speculation is do Cody and the Bucks start their own promotion with all elite wrestling with the trademarks they filed and they showed all this week they've been unveiling their new logos. Like they each have a new badge. They're no longer part of the Bullet Club. They're doing their own thing now. Do they go out on their own and take a shot at this? Or is it time to finally sign with the WWE in the case of the Bucks and a time to return in the case of Cody? Go on your own. That's exactly what I would say, too. Cody's already been there. Yeah. He knows exactly what they would do with him. He's hot. The Young Bucks, I mean, still, even on the independent scene, the Young Bucks are very quickly becoming one of the, the best independent tag teams out there if not already most people have opinions on that but even haters of the young bucks are now starting to say like okay yeah they're well they've been doing this long enough now even if you're not the biggest fan of their wrestling style you have to respect that they've stayed together they're a rare tag team right that just stuck with it and it's been like what 12 oh man it's been a long time yeah even through their tna run and all these other runs yeah. Always been together. And that's something that even the Hardy boys, you know, broke up. Even other brother teams, legit brother teams broke up. Yeah. So I have to really respect them for that because, like I mentioned to you before in numerous other episodes, I like tag teams that stick together. Right. That, that are actually like Hawk and Animal together is what I liked. When they were separate, when Hawk was doing singles matches and when Animal after Hawk passed away, was doing singles. I was like, I have no interest in this. Right. So I just really admire them for keeping that together and knowing that their brand is a tag team. It's not It's not bad to be in a tag team with somebody. Well, that's the thing is, you and I have discussed it as well, is the Midnight Express will always hold a special place in my heart. And I love that Bobby Eaton went out of his own, and it was great. But, you know, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, our Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry were just that awesome. And the Rock and Roll Express. Right, when Richard Morton was on his yeah. singles run, it just wasn't the same. It wasn't. I mean, literally, Ricky and Robert, that's the whole premise of what they are. I mean, I'm trying to figure out a better way of putting it. I get it. 
sort of that you right. want to have a singles run or whatever. Right. But if you know that it's if something's working and it's working really well, why don't would you step away? Yeah. Well, yeah, why would you step away from it? Right. Don't don't fuck with it. Yeah, exactly. In the case of the Hardys, I think Jeff Hardy actually had a great singles run and is a great singles wrestler. I think both did because Matt went out and did version one, and then Matt also come back with with uh, Woken and or I or Broken or Broken as well. Sorry, Broken. And so, um, well, they're both the. Woken is the WWE version, but yeah, he was able to reinvent himself. It took him a little longer to find his own identity. And that's the thing, like the Dudley. Edge and Christian, I understand, like, to a certain degree. I actually like them kind of better together. Most tag teams, it's hard for me. I think the Hardys is one tag team that the heart, well, of course, the Rockers, Shawn Michaels, I mean, is... Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Jeff Hardy, Bully Ray. There's been a lot of great single stars to emerge from tag teams. Right. But then there's also a lot of tag teams that broke up that, like the New Age Outlaws, even though that gimmick got stale, when they both went out on their own, they just never found the same success. Yeah. For whatever reason. And, I mean, (laughs) one man wins the king of the ring and still can't get success. So it was, yeah. But but I think Road Dog found his niche though in the hardcore division. Yeah, but they gave up that. on it yeah, so quickly, very quickly. Yeah, you said the Outlaws, but I was gonna say the Smoking Guns. So that's what's even <laughs> funnier is because they break off Barton and shit, <laughs> and Billy's like, well, I gotta, gotta get back to a damn tag team. Bill, Billy's like, I gotta get back to another tag team because if not, I'm screwed. And so it was. That's true, man. He did actually go to a lot of tag teams. He did. Same with uh, Buff Bagwell, really, for most of his career. Like, Although vicious and delicious. I'm sorry. Him and Norton, it's great. Well, on the show tonight, when we review Mr. Scott Flash Norton's match, I'm not going to have very good things to say about it. But I don't know that I can even cite an example of a tag team that just never broke up. That just kept going forever and ever. Like an actual tag team, or are you talking about like two guys that come together, ran for a really long time, and then broke up? No, they just stayed together. I mean, the Young Bucks have pretty much just stayed together. Yeah. I guess, Um, well, they've even had singles runs. I was going to say the Briscoe brothers in Ring of Honor, but he's one of them has had a title run. Yeah. Maybe Public Enemy. I would probably yeah. say Public Enemy. Public Enemy. That's, that's a really good. The uh, Pit Bulls. For another one. Oh, right, right. Pit bulls until, unfortunately, yeah. one passed away. Most of those ECW teams stuck together a they, really long that's time. That's true. That's very true, yeah. That's really all I can think of. I'm sure we can think of more with more time, but... Well, well hey, hey Primo and Epico. Yeah. Well, of course, High Voltage. Well, no, even they broke up. Yeah, they broke up. Because Kenny Chaos teamed with Rick Steiner. Even the Steiner brothers broke up. <laughs> Skull and Eight Ball. Ooh, that's a good one. Yes, the Harris brothers were always together. Always. That's all I can really think of. Yeah. I wow, that's you can probably on one hand name all like name the greatest tag teams that ever broke up. If, if we've missed any, please feel free to message us and let us know. The young yeah, guys now and Cody, I think they should I really I'm with you. I think they should run on their own. Well, especially because Cody's already been there and he knows what's gonna happen. You've seen the results of people that have been called up on the main roster in the past couple years. Hasn't worked out too well. Now, if Cody went back, he would probably skip NXT. So would the Bucks. 
because they're all getting up. They're not exactly young anymore. Everyone's getting up there in age. They don't have time to fuck around in NXT. Like, I imagine they would be brought on to the main roster, but even then, I just don't have any hope for how they would be treated. No, I don't either. I, um, the Young Bucks especially, because I just feel like... You're too small. Yeah, I... You took the words right out of my mouth. You're too damn small. I swear I thought that's what he was going to say. Good example. So this past week on SmackDown, Daniel Bryan fought Mustafa Ali. Now, Daniel Bryan isn't exactly a giant, but here comes Mustafa Ali, and he calls Mustafa Ali a little, little man, and then they have a match. So that's the kind of mindset this company works in, is like, if you are even a foot taller than the other person, oh my God, you're just... You're little. You're a yeah. little bitty man. Yeah, I agree. And it's if it wasn't for Eddie, unfortunately, passing away, Ray would never have had a world title. That's my problem with Ray's entire career is the way he's been treated. And we've talked about this before as well. But in pro wrestling, the idea is that the little man, David, can beat Goliath. Yeah. Because it's not like MMA. It's not like real sports where... I believe in pro wrestling, I can believe that Rey Mysterio can beat Kevin Nash. Yeah. But they never treat him like that, especially in the WWE when, oh, he's the underdog. He's always the littlest dog in the fight. He's always fighting from behind. And then they booked him to lose to everybody. It was just awful. And so now that he's on this comeback, now that he's re-signed with the company and working this limited schedule, he's going to get treated better because he knows what's up. He knows his value. Right out in the world that other people think the same way as I do, that just because you're small, if you have wrestling skills, it doesn't matter how small you are. You can fight. Cody could go back and fly, I think, in regards to him running with AJ and Kevin Owens and all that. He would be more of an actual contender in my book. Uh, the Young Bucks, though, wouldn't, wouldn't stand it. Well, the tag team situation is so bad. I mean, based on how they booked the Revival and, I mean, the Usos were off TV for a long time, so even the talented tag teams they have, they put them on the bench. New Day has gotten so stale, it's not even funny. So. They just don't value tag team wrestling, and no. they haven't in a really, really long time. Yeah. Just the sad truth of it. So hopefully they... Go their own way with all elite wrestling. They've already filed the trademark, so hopefully that pans out. That would be great. All right. So Matthew McConaughey is sitting doing a British TV show. Yeah, he was on the Graham Norton show with John Cena. With John Cena. And and some other people. I guess they're promoting a movie. He went on to, to tell a story that I find hilarious, and I just love that it was brought to light. About being a kid at a world-class Dallas, Texas show and throwing a bag of tomatoes at Skandar Akbar. Yeah, it's awesome. And that story would have never come out had John Cena not been on an interview with him. And for whatever reason, Graham Norton was just fascinated that John Cena was a pro wrestler. And even some of the stories John Cena tells on on the show are actually pretty interesting about how he came up with the you can't see me thing and uh, stuff like that, or how people think that his name is made up. Yeah. That it's not just John Cena. That's his real name. Yeah, I mean. It's no joke. 
Well, it's one of the few times WWE just said, yeah, your name's good enough. Right. Especially a guy named John. Because yeah. even, you know, John Bradshaw Layfield, he's not John. He's JBL. He's right. not, he can't, you can't be John. Right. So it was really fascinating that they let him keep his name as they change a lot of people's names. Uh, him and Randy Orton's the only two I can actually think of. Well, Brock Lesnar. I mean, well, I mean, that's a great uh, name anyway. Yeah. For a wrestler. Yeah. I mean, even people like Finn Balor, whose real name is Fergal Devitt, but on the indie scene, he went as Prince Devitt. Prince Devitt's a fine name. Why yeah. not just go as that? No, 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 no. You can't be Prince Devitt. Finn Balor. Okay. Fine. Or Gunner from TNA. You can't be Gunner. That in. That means shooting. You can't do that, even though he was a gunner in the Marines. That yeah. was the gimmick. Yeah. Now he's Jackson Riker. He just terrible fucking names given out to everybody. So, John Cena, congratulations. You got to keep your name. Here's the clip of the interview so you can just hear it yourself. Because when uh, you were starting off in wrestling, you had a persona that... Am I right? It was sort of half man, half machine. Was that yes, the idea? Yes, that's correct. Yes. It this was, was prototype. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you, uh, you want to try to find a persona, or here's some more inside baseball for it, a gimmick. Oh. Where is a, is it describes you as a character, so like when you walk out, people notice you, and they kind of, you can describe your character. But in, these are not gimmicks. These, this is real. Well, well, I mean, if they work, it's, yes. But you kind of, it's, it's a it's trial is. and error process with a lot of errors. And, uh, and my first try was uh, the prototype, which was half man and half machine, and 100% crap. <laughs> but given that you're not half a machine, how did you demonstrate you were a machine? Well, I, I used this ability to talk rather monotone and would say things authoritative, and just when I said I would kick your ass at the fairgrounds on Sunday, I would rewind it and say it again for you. I would kick your ass at the fairgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> You no, <laughs> no, it didn't. That's a good but, but, one. Yeah, but it, but, but it the, worked on one. I have one. Yeah. I'm in. You found but, huge success as John Cena. Imagine that. I figure I need to come up with some sort of name. Yeah, look, every, doesn't every every wrestler has a name? Yes, they? and people think that like, hey man, how'd you make up the name John Cena? It's like, no, dude, I would have made up like Dick Hammerbush or something cool like that. <laughs> <laughs> or something, I don't know. That's a star. No one's moving from there. No one's letting you go out with that. No. <laughs> but uh, they actually think that John Cena is a, a gimmick name. But no, that's actually <laughs> through all the, the presentation that is WWE. I'm stuck I, I, with John Cena. Are you a wrestling fan, Jamie? I used to love wrestling uh, when we were much younger, about the same time as Transformers. Back in the day, we had Big Daddy, yeah. Yeah. the giant haystack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, no, I used to love it. I thought it was just fantastic. By the way, I'm John Cena. All <laughs> <laughs> these awesome names. You know, the ultimate drooler or, like, no, nothing. And wrestlers like to have uh, signature moves and things. Yes. And one of yours is the, you can't see me. But That's th correct. Is that true that came out of your family somehow? Yeah, I was, I was dared to do it. So I was actually making the music for my own theme song that you just so heard and finally serenaded me to. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and we played it for my brother. And the first time he heard it, this was uh, the, the uh, 50 Cent's crew uh, had a, a really popular song called In the Club. And he heard it the first time, and instead of dancing, like he was our litmus test to see what songs were good and what songs were bad, he did this. 
And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, no, everybody does this, man. Everybody does this. And I guess this was from 50 Cent's video. And he's like, you won't do it on TV. So what the hell do I got to lose? Am I going to fire me? Of course I'll do it on TV. But instead of doing this, I did this. <laughs> and now for 15 years, <laughs> because of a dare, I've been doing this. <laughs> and I'll do you one better. People actually think I'm invisible. There will be people to look at this couch and be like, why is there nobody next to McConaughey? We <laughs> said John Cena would be there, but we can't see him. <laughs> so you, you never know. You remember Hacksaw Jim Duggan's and King Kong Bunny yes. and Skandar Akbar and Care Von Erics and Carry the Claw? I got kicked out of Hirsch Coliseum. talking Texas wrestling. I got kicked out of Hirsch Coliseum in Shreveport for pelting Skandar Akbar with a bag of tomatoes on the apron. Skandar Akbar was a man dressed as a sheik that used to throw fire. Yes. And he managed King Kong Bundy, who yes. was like 484 pounds. And remember the missing Leotard link from Singer. Parts Unknown? Yeah. And, oh, remember yeah, the green oh. face, Ooh. spit green mist? They sound really good. Good stuff. Yeah. It's, it's entertaining. It was so much fun. And, and I'm John Cena. <laughs> but he's King this. Kong Bundy. Yes. 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 Okay, what else do you have for us in the world of pro wrestling? That's all I got, brother. By the time I publish this podcast, Vince McMahon will have made his return on Raw, and it's it's just like clockwork, Patrick. Anytime the ratings absolutely tank. And I thought we would see it a couple weeks ago when it reached the lowest point of all time the first time. I thought, oh, well, Vince will be on next week. No, he didn't show up the week after, or the week after that. But this past week, they did it again, Patrick. They upped their record they had the lowest draw rating ever. For a month straight. Really? Yeah, it's really, been like... Let you, that sink in, fans. A month. Four shows. You start off with the lowest. And you just keep then going. Then you're like, fuck, I'm lower than that the next week. Fuck, I'm lower than that the next week. Then you literally hit the absolute bottom of the barrel. Like... It's remarkable they still even have a show at this point. Well, it's funny to me, if you go back and listen to our old shows, I, it seems like I bring this up every show. Oh, last week's Raw was the lowest rated. So, yeah, it's pretty scary when every week is the lowest ever. Yeah. Because where where is rock bottom? It's like a sinking ship. Yeah, I mean, they probably got on the ratings, they probably got like a one something, I'm assuming. Yeah, and it also vilifies me from a few months ago when that fucker on Twitter was saying, oh, yeah, Raw beat the VMAs. Yeah, okay, pal. No, it fucking didn't. You guys are fucking sinking. The ship is sinking. Yeah. And, you know, on screen, you can blame the Baron Corbin heel GM dynamic, but it's not just that. There's a lot of problems with the show. It starts with that, I think, because it's like, he was booked in the main event like two or three weeks in a row. This guy can't fucking wrestle. The show we reviewed, Hog Wild from 96, I ask you the question, Patrick, is the Giant a better wrestler than Baron Corbin? It's close. You yeah. can't headline, oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. That's scary. Now, is the big show better than Baron <laughs> Corbin? That's the difference. I don't even think Giant put on a good performance in this Hog Wild. You can't headline a show with what we got on Hog Wild 96 every week. Well, that was Hogan. Oh, that it was, was, yes. That absolutely. was Hogan. And I have a lot to say about that match. Well, we'll get there in a minute. But 
the show's been getting worse and worse. And so now Vince is going to come on Monday and he's probably going to fire in quotation marks, Baron Corbin from his spot. And he's probably going to bring in some NXT talent or something. Cause he, the WWE tweeted out that he's going to shake things up, which usually means roster call-ups, but well, or it's the return of triple H and Stephanie to the authority role, because in his mind, he might think that's the solution. That's what's missing right, from the show. And I saw tweets about this, about, oh, well, the crowd, if, if the crowd cheers for Vince, you know, they're, they're fucking stupid because it's Vince's fault that the show's bad or whatever. But if you already bought a ticket to Raw, it doesn't matter if you cheer or if you boo or whatever. You already bought your ticket, so what right. does it matter? Right. You bought your ticket, so you already say, I approve of this show. So, Well, that's the thing is fans are going to go to the show. If the ratings don't show the quality, the quality of of talent or the quality of show you're putting on, to the point that the ratings are dropping that bad, that's what I meant by when I said how are they, how do they still have a show? Is because I cannot believe that USA just says, "Listen, I'm gonna have to pull you because you're taking up airtime, and we're gonna throw you on like." midnight saturday night or we some could just shit. show a rerun of csi and get right. a million people exactly so it's very well it's troubling for them what i read this week too is that fox in their contract when they get smackdown next year they have in their contract that they can move that show anywhere they want to so yeah they can bury smackdown if it doesn't produce for them with the xfl you're trying to shop your football league to me and i say well look at i'm gonna look at your wrestling numbers you don't have any viewers for this, so why would I think you'd have any viewers for your football league? Right. So there's some big problems there. Curious to see what Vince does on Monday, but by the time you hear this, it'll already have been done. It probably won't be much of anything. Uh, one final thing I wanted to mention, Jimmy Jacobs, who was the writer for WWE, he was a big uh, independent pro wrestler for a while. He was a writer for WWE. He got fired when... The Bullet Club did their invasion when they showed up outside the arena and threw up the two sweet signs, and he took a picture with them, and he got fired. Showed up in Impact. Don't know what he's done since then because I don't watch Impact, but he tweeted out when everyone was bitching about Raw or whatever. He said, he said it's fucking hard to write five hours of TV each week. Okay, well, I have a few problems with that statement because this is a pro wrestling show. This isn't a TV drama, a, a totally scripted show. They look at it completely wrong. I agree on that aspect. And also with commercial breaks and everything, a three hour show is really around two. Yeah. Two, two, 10, two, 15. Okay. So it's down to that. Then the actual wrestling matches, they're not scripted out. I mean, they, no, they're given, they're given, okay, you got five minutes. We want you to win. You want him to lose. And this is how it's going to happen. Right. Okay, that's not right. Then you have the scripted promo parts, which there's a lot of it in the show. Let's say out of Raw, an entire hour is scripted. Yes. And out of SmackDown, let's say, because it's only two hours, let's say 30 minutes right. is actual dialogue. Right. You're telling me you can't write an hour and a half? These are pe- these are people are these people are paid high dollars yeah. to come in there and do the writing. You can't write an hour and a half of TV for me in pro wrestling where... The logic's pretty simple. I hate you. Here's why I hate you. Let's have a match. Yeah. It's very simple. You overcomplicate things when you Vince Russo it, when you try to make it deeper than it is. When you have Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins is a very self-explanatory feud. 
Dean Ambrose didn't have the success of the other guys of the Shield. He was bitter and jealous. But instead, you turn that into him dressing up like Bane, coming out complaining about the fans smelling bad, hating the fans. Seth Rollins asks him, why did you DDT me? Why did you turn your back on the Shield? And here we are a month after it happened. We still don't fucking know why. Yeah. If you can't answer basic questions... It's just, it's good guys and bad guys, even though Vince, you know, in the attitude of uh, good guys and bad guys is passe. I don't think Vince, and I could be completely wrong. I'm just going on a limb here. I don't think Vince approves everything anymore. So as a writer, I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to let him speak yet because we can, we can draw that out and into another match or another pay-per-view. It's like, here's why I did it or whatever. But at the same point in time, they don't understand, writers anyway, don't understand true fans. The short-term attention of one specific topic or rivalry or whatever, you get three weeks. If you dilute it more than that, I don't even remember what we're fighting about. By the time we actually get to the match, you get three weeks. It's not the old days anymore, and the fans aren't mentally back in the old days anymore where you could have a year-long feud it's not that way anymore if you kept it hot enough i think you could but they don't they don't do that and yeah you're right the media landscape has changed we have very short attention spans we very thank you that's we have to we're taking in media from all over the place we're listening to a podcast we're watching youtube we're turning on the tv we're doing this we're going out we're working 40 hours a week we don't have time to really, yeah, sit down and really oh, analyze this stuff. Right. It, it just has to be black and white. It's not the 80s and the early 90s where mom and dad worked 9 to 5. All right, Had weekends five. off so Had you could watch WCW off, Saturday night. And you came home that night and you got to watch wrestling. It's not that way anymore. Times have changed. And unfortunately, they don't think... The formula needs to change. That formula, you got three weeks. And then you got to blow off at a pay-per-view. And if it's a month long, you get you squeeze a fourth week in there. And you better make it short because if not, you're going to dilute the shit and it's going to be terrible. As a writer, people can't fucking get that. And what we talk about, mixing storylines. If you don't do that... That's the easiest damn way. Believe it or not, it's the easiest fucking way to drag out yes. a storyline. Because it's like, I got a problem with you. He's got a problem with this dude. But if we swap real quick just for this week, we're still going to have a few words, but it's a lot shorter and you can drag it out. More can be said later on. Yeah, everything should be a little interconnected. If they don't do that like they used to, that you get three weeks. Like I can't I don't understand what what process they're thinking of or how they're going about this. They really, really need help. And I I'm sorry. I blame the fact that they went and started getting like Hollywood writers. What you said is about three weeks. Okay, well that's for the first match. The formula we've come to expect out of pay per view matches, three matches between these guys. Right. And the third one is the actual final. It's the blow off. And yeah. so what the writers I think do is they think for that third match down the road. And so they're writing random shit early on. So Dean Ambrose is talking about the fans in week three when he hasn't even had the first match with Seth Rollins. 
we haven't even gotten the first issue out of the way, and we're already moving on to this. So that way, at the third, they write for promo packages. So at the end of at the blow off match, the the culmination of the feud, they can have a clip, they can have a promo package that has all these inner, and it looks good that way when you put it like that. Yeah. But week to week, it's fucking it's awful. It's terrible. And Vince has final say on everything. If Vince Vince has to watch week to week, and if he doesn't watch the week or remember what happened the last week, someone in the room needs to say, this happened last week. We can't go in this direction this week because by the time you hear this, it'll be two weeks ago. So they had Ziggler and McIntyre, who were this pair, a tag team, heels, together, right. three months. They right. blew off that entire thing in one commercial break. They, they turned Ziggler face in one fucking commercial break. That's fucking bullshit. Like, because they were a hot tag team. Well, Ziggler was really there to serve as, you know, a heater basically for Drew McIntyre because they had protected Drew McIntyre very well. So Drew McIntyre does his in ring segment and Ziggler gets upset that he wasn't invited to it. Commercial break, they have the match. Ziggler beats McIntyre. McIntyre hadn't lost on main roster TV ever and he fucking beats him. Right there. That's fucking stupid. That's bad writing. And for Jimmy Jacobs to say, oh, you think it's fucking easy to write that? I don't think any wrestling fan that had paid attention to the show would have written that. We know the premise of pro wrestling. Right. If you have that, and I understand a lot of these writers go to ideas with Vince and he overrides them or he changes shit. Somebody's got to say no. You know, somebody, that's, when the Attitude Era was working and it was Vince Russo and McMahon, I'm sure Russo spoke up to him and said, no, we have to do it this way. And vice versa, McMahon said to him, no, Vince, we can't have a reverse battle royal with Pinata on a pole and all this stuff. There was give and take on both sides. And right. I think what it's become in the last several years really is Vince just says, this is how it is. And he's just got a bunch of yes men around him and they say, okay, well, I like having a job, so... I'll do it. I consider it also to be, he does have Triple H that he bounced stuff off. I know, but, but if you I, look at the program that Triple H is running in NXT, it's a much better product as right. far as storytelling goes. I think, I I do think there's a little turmoil between the two as to, well, listen, I'm the boss. I'm the CEO, damn it. You're just whatever the fuck his true title is. I think that's actually really going on because if it wasn't, there would be another way to explain the shit that we're having to do. Well, and one reason to think that is because when you analyze all the people that came up from NXT, they've all pretty much been shit on. Every single fucking one of them. Yep. Nobody's gotten their fair fucking shake. For the most part. Those Shield guys, they were in Florida Championship Wrestling before NXT was Triple H's. And then everybody Triple H has sent from NXT up to the main roster. Balor, Balor was doing great till he fucked up his shoulder. And then, oh yeah, and shame then, on you, get hurt, you're a pussy. And then now all of a sudden he's, I mean, he's on a downward spiral. The revival, Samoa Joe. Here's a world traveled veteran. Yeah, who should have just skipped NXT entirely. He just comes in to lose, even though he's probably the best promo they have, one of the best promos they have, even with the scripted shit. So it's just everybody that goes up there. I don't know what it is. And I think Jimmy Jacobs simplifying it by saying, oh, you think it's easy to write or writing TV is hard. Well, yeah, it's hard no matter what. Your job is hard no matter what it is. You can be 
pulling auto parts in a warehouse. Your job is hard. I'm not saying that riding TV isn't hard. I'm just saying you can do it successfully, especially when it's pro wrestling, when it's not a scripted TV drama. If you don't have true fans of the sport of professional wrestling doing your writing, you're only getting some random-ass people from Hollywood who make movies, which is what it's become. Really? Well, look at their WWE studio movies. They're fucking awful. Yeah. And so you're saying, more of that, please, on my main product. Yeah. There's so much shit I would change if I was given 24 hours to just do what you think that's going to get us back on board. And I'm not somebody that thinks that everything they did in the Attitude Era or everything they did in the early 90s when wrestling was booming. I'm not saying everything they did was great. No. There's plenty to to nitpick about. Yeah. But it was a... They might have had some down shows, but they had a shit more up shows than what you're having right now. For the most part, storylines were easy to follow. Even a storyline as stupid as Val Venus getting his dick chopped off was easy to fucking follow. And you know what's stupid about it, though? Is it still remembered today as a great storyline. Why? Because it's funny as hell. It's no matter as bad as it is. It's an awful... Those are awful storylines. They're horrible, but they're rememberable. Because they, from week to week, something happened. So Val was fucking around with Kai, the girl from Kai and Tai or whatever. And yeah. He gets his dick chopped off. It makes sense. This went from this to this to this. That's exactly. all. It built. And it ended up with Why did John I- Wayne Bobbitt saved his dick. The Daniel Bryan and Miz feud. Right. That never really, they had some matches here recently, but that never really got a big payoff. And they had never. it right there. They had it sitting in front of them. Yeah. A real realish moment that was totally generated without a writer right just dropped it they just had a couple of nah, matches not even a blood feud or anything and and you don't you don't have to have a thousand writers you have like two too many cooks in the kitchen yeah honestly yeah because if we're sitting around a round table and it's my job to i'm gonna feel pressure to say something even if i don't need to say something so if you pitch an idea i'm gonna sit across from the table and say well maybe if we did this just so i can ring in so it looks like i'm doing something and from that we get a shitty idea it's like telephone yeah it, it's like the kids game that they used to play on the playground and all that shit in school telephone you tell someone <laughs> here's a good idea this guy passes it over to this girl who types it up who says, no, we need to make, cor- who sends it to this guy. He says, we need to make corrections. He sends it to this other guy to make corrections, then sends it to this woman. This woman finishes it up, then sends it to the talent, and the talent's like, what the fuck is this? That's not what I was told in the meeting the other day. Yeah, all the stuff, going back to my example of Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, did you happen to watch that Chronicle of Dean Ambrose? Did you happen to see that on the I network? Have not yet, no. So that network special, it was mostly out of character, but some of it was in character, but it wasn't scripted. It was just Dean Ambrose. Being himself. Yes. That gave you more of the story and the breakup of The Shield than anything they've done on TV. And that was on the network to whoever just happened to see it. So And it was unscripted. Well, they gave him, yeah, they probably gave him bullet points. Said, you, you're turning heel tonight. Vin- Here's what you're saying. Here's what, or just say, here's what's going to happen. Here's what we need you just to hit this mark, hit this mark, hit this mark. 
knowing full well that in this town, at this pay-per-view, you and him are having a blow-up. Go. We've talked about this before, but, I mean, they don't even allow him to do that most of the time. So No, and it's ridiculous. Why did Talking Smack and The Miz and Brian work so well? Because it was on the spot. It was off the seat of your ass. It was a skid mark under somebody's trunks. And an incorporated storyline and with hints of realism. Yes. And that's all it takes. That's all it that's all it fucking takes. Just we point out real things. Don't be don't be Baron Corbin in an office <laughs> telling the lone a, wolf. <laughs> telling an entire three paragraphs of why this has got to happen this way. Because oh, and then he'll he'll plug a network show, and then he'll, oh yeah. Even if they go out there and fail, then at least you know that person's not very good at their job, and we can get someone else in here. Right. So if Titus O'Neil goes out there and fucks up on the mic, which is what he would do if he ever got to ad lib on the mic, you just say, okay, well we'll just put someone else in that spot. Because how do you ever know if anyone's good at anything? If you just say, you have to do this. And you learn on the indie circuit. If you were my booker right now and you said, hey, you're not refing tonight, I'm going to have you manage. Or, hey, you're going to be working tonight. Here's who you're taking on. Here's what's going to happen. I guarantee you, if I'm managing, I can go out there in a split second, have 20 seconds to get over whoever the fuck I'm managing, or 20 seconds to say, listen, I'm going to kick your fucking ass, and I'm going to take your title. And here's why. And here's why. If you can't do that on the indie circuit, what the hell makes you think you can do it at the Performance Center, at the NXT, then on the main roster? What makes you think a writer from a TV show would would be good at writing? Someone that's never watched wrestling. One, one thing that really bothers me, and I don't know if I've said it or not, but emotion. There is no emotion in wrestling anymore. Oh in yeah, wrestling common and wrestling. Uh, they don't speak to each other like human. They don't speak to each other like human beings speak to each other. Yeah, they talk like they are reading a script, and yeah. that's just not how people interact. Right, and even the you're right. Even the commentators, even someone as great as Renee Young, who would be fine without you know having events in her ear, that, they're they're told you know oh, that's what made King and Jr. great. That's yeah. it. I mean, there's no emotion. There's no off the seat of your ass, holy hell, what do I do next? You can't and feel excitement from somebody who's not actually excited. I know good and damn well if Roddy Piper was still alive and did a Piper's Pit, they are not going to walk up to him and say, all right, sir, here's your paragraph that you need to say. He's just not going to do it, plain and simple. It, right. Like, when those legends do return or when, when Hunter gets to go out there, when Batista got to come back a few weeks ago, do you really think, yeah, he wasn't handed a script. Right. He was just, oh, because we trust you. We know you. John Cena's not handed a script. So it's it's bullshit, yeah. Yeah. How are you ever going to get people over if you're giving them shit to read? Okay, we've so, gone on long enough. Yeah, about we can stuff. go on about this for hours on end. So yes, Jimmy Jacobs' statement: I don't believe that writing wrestling is easy, but you could make it a lot easier if you knew what the fuck. You this was my pick this week. It was the pay per view from the show that we watched. We watched uh, basically the go home show. There was one after it. 
So we watched a couple weeks ago the July 29th edition of Nitro, and it was two weeks away from Hog Wild in Sturgis, South Dakota, which is where Hulk Hogan, who is now Hollywood, would get his first title match as a bad guy against the Giant. It's August 10th, 1996. It's Sturgis. It's a motorcycle rally. 5,000 people in attendance. And zero dollars from the gate, Patrick, because we just gave it away. We just set up a wrestling ring. As much shit as we give WWE, they're not this fucking stupid. In addition to that, Patrick, we put a helicopter up in the air. Oh, yeah. We're wasting we're wasting fuel and the rental of a chopper to do air coverage of this. Of a show that generated zero dollars at the gate. That was in a field. <laughs> I wish I was making this up. It was in a field. You know what's really sad, though, is on the hard camera of the ring, that hill on the back, and you're seeing like old Plymouths and vans. It's the parking lot. You're seeing like Raper vans and all kinds of shit. All these old 80s and 90s vehicles, some even 70s vehicles, all right up there lined up in the parking lot. That's the main shot of the show. That's the main Main hard camera shot. Now, unfortunately for us, the network doesn't have the Saturday night, which this aired on a Saturday, which I do think is a good idea. So they had a good idea there. I think all pay-per-views should be on a Saturday. When we're recording this, TLC is tonight. It's a Sunday. I can't stay up and fucking watch that shit. Tonight, no. So. It's got like 13 matches on it, by the way. Good Lord. So anyway, Saturday night from 96, we missed Public Enemy defeating Rough and Ready, which was Dick Slater and Mike Enos. Conan defeated Chavo Jr. Nasty Boys defeated High Voltage. Oh, man, that, that one hurts my heart. I wish we could have seen that. Das Wunderkid defeated Earl Robert Eaton, your boy, hey. with Jeeves in 30 seconds. Wow. Uh, the Dungeon of Doom, Damn. the Taskmaster Ming and Barbarian defeated Joe Gomez, Jim Powers, and Mark Starr. So that's a match. As soon as they walk out, I know who's winning. Uh, David Taylor defeated Mr. J.L., Jerry Lynn, how about that? In 237, DDP defeated the Renegade. And then in our main event of Saturday night, we missed Arn Anderson defeating Hugh Morris in 40 seconds. So Arn is fine after that vicious attack with a baseball bat. No ill effects. Arn hits, Arn hits a DDT. He hits a spine buster. One, two, three. I guarantee you that's the 40 seconds. Well, Hugh Morris would get used to losing in 40 seconds uh, as he would be Goldberg's number one a year later. So, the laughing man, Hugh Morris. Tagline for Hog Wild: ain't no easy riders here. And also, problem with the cover art, it's Hulk Hogan. It's red and yellow. Yeah, they didn't bother fucking no. changing that at well, all. I mean, they, did the ch- they probably had it. That was in advance. Yeah. Also, when the Giant came out tonight for the main event, so they shot some fireworks at the end of his entrance. Yellow and red fireworks. So, uh, yeah, they didn't get the memo. They I spent guess. all the money on it, and they're like, yeah, we already we're bought shooting it. this shit off. Yeah, but I, I love this is the first from Sturgis, right? Oh, yes. This is the first, this is the last, first. and only Hogwild. Yes, it would, be it would become Road Wild. Road Wild. But this is the first pay-per-view from Sturgis South Dakota yeah South Dakota which would go on to become a yearly event we didn't get we didn't give one pay-per-view away we didn't lose enough money the first year Patrick yeah 
We got to do this shit every year. This is all because Bischoff and his friend Sonny Ono are very big motorcycle enthusiasts. So, of right. course, they want to hang out in Sturgis. Now, in a way, it was a good idea that they went here, more or less. I know they lost a ton of money uh, several years in a row, but this was this was the pay-per-view that they eventually got Jay Leno to show up at. And That's right. He's a huge motorhead, aficionado, motorcycle guy. He loves, he's a gearhead. Yeah, motorcycles or old cars. He, yeah. So if this wasn't in Sturgis in 98, I don't know that they're getting Jay Leno to show up because he was going to be there anyway. But think about what you're saying. (laughs) We need to waste millions and millions of dollars to get one guy to show up one time. So have Hulk Hogan sell a wrist lock to Jay Leno. I don't think that was that bad. No, dude, that was bad. I don't think it was that bad. If you remember that match, Kevin Eubanks, the band leader, he's the one that actually did most of the work. He was the one that hit the diamond cutter. He was yeah. the one that that did all the work. Right. And for that one moment, like we say about David Arquette, it got you in the press. His, oh, I'd love to hear this. The difference is David Arquette got his ass kicked and just stumbled into it, which is what Leno should have done. Got his ass kicked and stumbled into the pin one, two, three. Then I could be like, hell yeah, it's great to have Jay Leno in the ring. No, having Hulk Hogan on his knees selling a wrist lock to a man, I have bigger arms than Jay Leno. I don't think it was that bad. They made a lot more mistakes than just Jay Leno. Oh, they made a ton more. That's true. So we start with an opening video. Oh man, less than an hour from an icon of democracy. Of course, Mount Rushmore, just less than an hour away. Just imagine it. Well, we don't have to imagine it because they show us picture. This small town hosts the biggest motorcycle rally in the world. Don't you want to set up a ring and have the hard camera be looking at Mount Rushmore? That would have been dope. <laughs> like, that would have been badass. That would have been better than sitting and looking at parked cars. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you. That's one thing we can agree on. Start up your Harley Davidson. And then they play a ripoff of Van Halen's song right now. It's like do 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 do. I'll I'll just include it. But they play a, they. This is the first time they play this ripoff version of Van Halen's song right now. Uh, they do it also in the montage of the wrestlers driving uh, to Sturgis from the Mall of America for some reason. Okay, uh, but it, why? Okay, why do they? They love there. I mean, I know it's the first nitro. First nitro, right? I know that, but they love there, and I don't understand why. Well, I actually thought, why are they driving from there? That's a super long way away from South Dakota. I'm not good with visualizing the map of the United States. I didn't. Re- it's just an eight-hour drive, so it was a a decent drive, but it wasn't like a day's long. The hell, drive. they did like two. You even see them doing two, two or three rest stops and signing autographs. Yeah, and, t- and it's not. The biker gang's in town. WCW. It's not like... Scotty Steiner doesn't have a shirt on. It's not like... Oh, don't get me started on that. But it's not like... On a motorcycle. Hey, that's smart. It's not like they stopped and got gas at this gas station. Oh, man, I just ran into Sting and Scott Steiner and Rick and look at all these guys. No, they set up and actually had police and barricades. And all of, and a table for these guys to sit at with custom already printed eight by tens 
this shit was set up for them to ride in. Hey, while I'm signing autographs, oh, I'm signing autographs for two hours or whatever. Go put oil, you know. Go check the oil. Go put gas, everything in the, in the motorcycle. Oh, sorry, folks, you didn't get an autograph. Got to have to drive the rest of the way because we're we got to go. Then we go to the first helicopter shot of the motorcycle rally as Tony Schiavone welcomes us to Hog Wild. Now they changed the name because Hog is not looked upon as a good phrase in the motorcycle community turns out they don't like that because i remember an episode of bar rescue a few years ago john taffer goes to this restaurant and it was called like hog something and he got him to change the name because people that ride motorcycles don't like the term hog so that's why it was changed to road wild which is an even worse name why not call it like the stampede in sturgis why not call it something different why does it have to be about the damn road I like that. Stampede and Sturgis. Yeah. Well, I guess I was too close to Can- Canadian Stampede, so no, I can't do that. Or something in Sturgis. I don't know. Spring Stampede, that's why. Oh, that too. Yeah, they were already using the Stampede. Something other than Road Wild. The road is not wild. The road is pretty calm. The people are wild. The road is paved. Dusty, Toning, and Bobby have their motorcycle gear on. Oh, <laughs> you know where I'm going. Dusty had the shortest <laughs> fucking pair of cutoff jeans <laughs> I have ever seen on a man. Now, the person that bothered me was Tony and his fucking fake tattoo. <laughs> this really fucking bothered me. And at first I thought it was real because he's standing there and I'm like, holy shit, Tony has this fucking huge tattoo. Who would have known? And he looks so out of place wearing his fucking WCW jean jacket with the arms cut off and we'll find out how much this fucking jacket costs later in the show you're not fucking cutting off the arms of this motherfucker like like he looks so out of place with his little biker hat i'm tony always strikes me and we could have gone and seen tony shivani and conrad doing their podcast in nashville really yeah they were doing what happened when which is his wcw podcast he always strikes me as someone that doesn't like pro wrestling really like yeah. he he feels in deep in his heart, he feels like he could be a great play-by-play like baseball announcer, which is what he ended up doing was like minor league baseball announcing the past few years. So to see him actually get in character, I'm sure he fucking hated Eric Bischoff for making him put this shit on. Like he looked way more out of place than Dusty. Dusty, I could buy, would maybe wear this shit because Dusty's style is so fucking crazy. It's true. I can maybe buy that. Tony looked way out of place. Bobby looked fucking awesome because he didn't buy into the fucking he's like i'm not doing that shit he had a black suit on he looked fucking fine even for the start of the first match as they're walking out they're giving bobby a bunch of shit like hey where's your get up where's your where's your and he's you're not in the spirit yeah he's like i'm not wearing that (laughs) it's like it's great now unfortunately tonight bobby really fucking annoyed me tonight he was not on point tonight like oh because he kept doing the he got him or he got her every time there was an ear fall oh he got him he got him and then in the nwo matches because he's a heel announcer i don't think he knew how to be against the nwo so he was almost teasing that he was part of the nwo yeah he was calling in their favor and he was like defending nick patrick so i think they actually had an idea like maybe we're going to turn bobby heenan into an nwo guy like maybe he would have been their announcer or something but the rest of the night, he was just off tonight. He didn't yeah. have a lot of good quips. He didn't have a lot. 
when he chimed in, Tony and even Dusty, who deserves to be shit on a lot of the time Dusty does with his fucking stupid commentary, they were shitting on Bobby. Like, they were ganging up on Bobby. And it was just really weird tonight. Like, Bobby just was not feeling this show for whatever reason. So Yeah, I mean, I love Dusty. I really do. I like Dusty not as a commentator. I like Bobby as a commentator. And tonight, neither of them were giving I, I me much. I like Dusty even as a commentator. But Dusty in, like, booty shorts? Like, these were just a little bit longer than booty shorts. It was It was scary. Not only does Tony have a biker cap, Patrick, he has his mullet as well. So this was a... He is not a stylish man. Some of his choices on Nitro were not very good either. He so. had the wallet chain and everything. He was he was ready. And so this fake tattoo at the end of their little high welcome into the show, Dusty's like pointing at the tattoo on the camera. He like grabs Tony's arm and is like pointing at the tattoo. So like I already noticed it, but Dusty was like, please, please notice Tony's fake tattoo. Uh, so the opening match of the night, WCW Cruiserweight title. No better way to start things. Which, by the way, so Saturday night was the pre-show, but they let you see the entrances on Saturday night. They were so cruel, Patrick, because you're watching Saturday night, and you're thinking, oh, TBS forgot to cut off the feed. They showed you the entrances, and they got to the ring, and then Tony was like, oh, we have to go now, bye. Yeah. I thought that was really weird. Like That's kind of how WWF used to do with their preview channel show or whatever. They would basically start the pay-per-view. And then say goodbye, but sometimes I was like, oh, please don't cut the feed. Please don't cut the feed. They cut the feed. So Yeah. It's Ultimo Dragon, or as they call him, the Ultimate Dragon. He's out with Sonny Ono, who is a heel manager. Ultimo Dragon here, not very heelish in his at this wrestling. At this point in time, he was considered a heel, but he didn't wrestle like no. a heel. Now, of course, these three guys don't know anything about these guys. So Mike Tanay gets called in to help out, as he would often do on cruiserweight matches. Rey Mysterio Jr. is out in his awesome Spider-Man gear, which was his gear in WCW NWO World Tour, which I love this, this it's outfit. A great, it's a great outfit. With just a fucking Spider-Man symbol on there. He didn't fucking hide it. Like, no. Just <laughs> blatant. I'm ripping this off now. They had Mike Tanay come all the way to Sturgis. From wherever, yeah. For one match. <laughs> For one fucking match. You talk about an easy night's pay, that's an easy night's pay. Well, I mean, this company was spending money on helicopters and shit, so of course we're going to give you a whole day's salary to call one fucking match, of course. One match. I bet he was pissed when he got the Nitro job, because now, uh, now i got to actually fucking work. <laughs> that's true. I was just getting called in to do one match and making the same money. His first show that he did full-time on Nitro, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Really? Yeah, that's right. He was brought in, I think, the episode where Giant joined the NWO. Giant turns. Yeah, it was his first Nitro. Cool. Can Ray bounce back from his attack on the Outsiders? The answer is yes. As this man was thrown into a trailer at high velocity. Lawn darted. No ill effects. Not even holding his head. Not even a neck brace or anything. No, he's fine. He's bounced back. He's good. Ray and Dragon start the hot cruiserweight match with a few rest holds. Chin locks and leg locks. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. You have the possibility putting on a great match with these two. Problem is, first of all... The crowd doesn't know who they are. The crowd doesn't know. They are really way out of place for the audience. Oh, yes. That would be run into later on, too, with another match as well. As well as the fact that 
these two could tear the house down, but just flat out were like, listen, we're, we're taking it easy tonight. We're not doing much. And they did more than I would have even done. There's a dive that Ray does later on in the match. I was like, that was fucking stupid. Oh, yeah. What a fucking waste. Oh, yeah. You could have seriously ended up injuring yourself for this non-paying fucking crowd that doesn't yeah. know who the fuck you are. Exactly, yeah. We get USA chance against Ultimo Dragon for some reason. This is bizarre, okay? Now, I know that Ray, San Diego, he is American, so this is technically accurate. The, the He's audience, wearing red and blue. The blue. audience doesn't know this. <laughs> the audience could think that's just a little boy, a little American boy, in a mask. I mean, they don't know. So USA against the drag. They know Dragon is foreign though, because well, he's yeah, out with Sonny Ona. He's out with Sonny Ona, who's also American. So yeah, they get the fish out of water spot where both Mysterio and Dragon try the same moves, and then they just stand off. Ooh, you're, you're the same as me. You're the same as me. We, oh, I underestimated you. Dragon hits a few kicks and the handspring elbow. My hated move that men do that women took over in the WWF. I fucking hate this thing. Then we get a running sit-out powerbomb. He doesn't even bother to cover Rey Mysterio after this. This is no. the move that ended Draws' career. Yeah. And Dragon, eh, this is a transitional move. Yeah, we're just going to go with it. Figure four to Rey Mysterio. These are cruiserweights. Figure fucking four. We're from, doing super heavyweight moves, by the way. Yeah. Figure four to Rey Mysterio, who gets the ropes. Tanae talks about the Jacob tournament and how Jushin Liger... Had a fucking brain tumor in 96. I had no idea about that. I wasn't yeah. aware of this either. And the fact that the man... Is battled, still wrestling today. Battled back from that and still wrestling to this day is unbelievable. Dragon puts Mysterio in a variation of the torture rack, stealing Lex Luger's move. How dare you, sir? But it's behind his head. And then he drops Mysterio like Nikki Bella's rack attack is what I mentioned here. That's what he yeah. did. That's pretty much what it is. Dragon eats a springboard dropkick and a baseball slide. Knocks Dragon off the elevated ringside apron. So the ring is elevated, and it's a fucking five-foot drop down to the dirt below. Oh, yeah, it is. It's like five or six feet. And the fact that you're coming over the top ropes, which is another... Yeah, from the from the ground. That's 10 to 12 feet. So, I mean, it's a that's a big fall, bro. Yeah. Mysterio... The camera misses it, but we see Mysterio dive from the ring to the dirt. This was fucking insane and just nails Ultimo Dragon. They get back in the ring. He hits a diving Hurricane Rana to Ultimo Dragon. Tries another one from a springboard, but gets drop kicked to the outside. Dragon fakes Mysterio out, skins the cat, then hits a plancha to Rey Mysterio on the outside. And they just... He hits a bridging German to Mysterio when they get in the ring. It gets a two count. Ultimo Dragon hits a Cabrada, then a Moonsault off the turnbuckle for a near fall. He tries the running powerbomb again, but Mysterio Hurricane Ron is out of it. Mysterio tries a top turnbuckle Frankensteiner. It's blocked, so he hits it again. One, two, three, and wins the match. Communication was off here is the only thing I can think. Because why would you block it the first go around and, then and get clearly take it the second? Communication was lost. Or they were like, hey, we got to cut time, or hurry the fuck up, something. I don't know. And of all the spots they did in the match, this wasn't the most vicious spot they did. This no. wasn't, it didn't build up to, oh, this great conclusion. It was just like, oh, it's over. And if I was going to finish the match, I would have done Ray's huge slide, huge flying out onto the, the uh, ground. 
throw him in. Hit a finisher, one, two, three. Yeah. Yeah, this match went on a little longer than it should have. It didn't build properly. Right. It sort of suffers from the same thing that that WrestleMania 14 match with Taka Mishinoku suffers from, and that's just guys hitting their big spots and not thinking it out, saying we're going to build and build and build and then reach our conclusion. Right. But wrestling's hard to think about, Patrick. Apparently it is. You got it. I mean, it's hard to write a for a three-hour TV show, apparently. Mean Gene is in the same outfit as Tony Schiavone in his cut-off blue jean jacket, and he pimps the WCW hotline, which is what? what's the number? 1-900-909-9900. We go to the helicopter again as we get ready for, uh-oh, a special challenge match. When they say that, you know what you're getting. Yeah, the, the quality of the show plummets. As Scott Flash Norton is going to take on his former Fire and Ice partner, Ice Train. Fire and Ice explode here on no build. Just these guys broke up. Here's the match. I actually enjoyed this team oh. as a kid. Oh, well, the team was fine. It was just two big guys. Yeah, it was two giant guys that just ran through people. They don't sell. They yeah, no. just win. But <laughs> to, to put these two. <laughs> on this type of paper, right out of the gate. Oh, yeah. This sucked the life out of this show. It's, oh, it was... I expect more from Scott Flash Norton, but... Oh, yeah, I really do. Scott Norton should have been able to have done a lot. So we get a big chop battle between Norton and Ice Train. Ice Train's shoulder is taped up, so Scott Norton stomps it, of course. Neither of these big men sell anything. Norton runs Ice Train's shoulder into the post. Ice Train finally hits a wrestling move. The first one of this match, about five minutes into the match, he hits a body slam to Scott Norton. Back to punching and kicking. Ice Train then power slams Norton for a near fall. Norton puts Ice Train in an arm bar and wins the match. Yes. That's it. To booze. This crowd that didn't pay anything for their fucking show booed this free match. Yes. You get what you fucking pay for. This is what I said about the (laughs) Disney World crowd. They, yeah, oh man, yeah. Don't these, get me started on that. These motorcyclers, they just straggled in, you know, and now, and then now they're booing poor old Ice Train. He doesn't deserve that. No. He's a train of ice. What is an ice train, exactly? I think you just described it. Now, is the train made of ice, or is it just a train full of ice? Kind of a checkerboard type thing, because you'll have cars that are made of ice, and then behind them will be the cars carrying ice. For when the initial car that's made of ice starts melting, you got to replace it. We needed help here. So we called in our Mike Tanay. Yeah. None other than Brenton, by the way. Yeah, we're just we're just like Tony and Bobby and Dusty. We need someone that actually knows wrestling. Exactly. To come in here and save us. Yeah. We didn't wear our blue jean jackets, though, but we do have merch now, Brenton, as we have our own jackets. They're I'm limited pumped. one of two. So. I'm pumped. Brenton's like, I want one now. I don't think that's what he's thinking at all. Is this in your pro wrestling tea store? <laughs> no, See, I told you pro wrestling one. iron-ons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm I'm not paying the seventy-five dollars to join pro wrestling teas or whatever it is. Can't get that brother rate. Well, if I yeah, if I had ten thousand followers, they let you in for free. But I wonder what their cut is of the merch sales on there. A dollar. The wrestlers are the yeah pro whoever teas. yeah whoever puts. Oh, it merch. can't be much. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's more like, than a couple bucks. Like, I'd be surprised if 
pro wrestling tees is taking in any less than 85%. <laughs> and this is me having no knowledge whatsoever of this. I still would think it'd be a good idea. For no, me. it's a terrible Why? idea. Why? Because you paid them money and you're never going to sell anything. And by the time... I would You're buy never going to make this... Just buy them yourself. <laughs> yeah, get yeah, an iron. It's much cheaper to make your own shirt. <laughs> the NWO here in this pay-per-view, they didn't have their own shirts. They just made them themselves. They weren't going to pay $100 for that fucking jacket. God, don't give me They're going to make their own. Ironically, you know who had a company make shirts for them? A tag team known as DIY. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Well, no one's going to do it for you unless you need shirts made. So Johnny Gargano was in there ironing on shirts? No, he didn't do it himself. Oh. That's the thing. It's... That's why he was outed as a fraud if you're keeping up with the current product, which I'm not really, because it's... Speaking of Hogwild, they ruined Johnny Gargano. Glad I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so this match was fucking awful. This is going in my top ten worst matches that we've reviewed. This isn't quite... Oh, no. This, this isn't is the terrible. fucking Sheep Herders and uh, the Beverly Brothers, but this is pretty fucking close. When you are. Oh, yeah, Jameson. <laughs> if they had Jameson in this match... <laughs> It's going number one, but when you are, it's pretty fucking bad. How big is that guy? We go to a pre-tape of Ric Flair talking about the attack on Arn Anderson, and this Ric Flair promo fucking sucked too. I just hate to say it, this is a bland fucking babyface Ric Flair talking in his low voice. I'm gonna do the right thing. I'm just gonna go out. To Nothing about Nature Boy was in this video. No. Nash, Hall, whoever. You hurt my best friend. Didn't matter whether I was standing with Sting and Luger. Through association, they could be in an ambulance with me, they could be in my home. If Arn Anderson's down, I'm there. I mean, Arn Anderson and I have been up and down this road for 15 years, man. We have bled, we have sweat, and we've cried. The emotion in this business is huge. It's hard. It's hard on you personally. I had decided in my own mind that Hogan and the New World Order and the Horsemen could coexist. But then they jumped on Arn Anderson. And it became a whole new awareness, a whole new ball game. This is our business. We stand top by getting involved. My other real friend in life is, is, is this company. This company is the best. I'll stand up for it. I'll fight for it. It's on now. It's on the table. It's us. It's survival of the fittest. It doesn't matter whether I like Sting or Sting likes me or Luger. It's one company now trying to be taken over by another. If the New World Order wants to make their mark and to really score, you've got your opportunity now because the horsemen are involved. Two of us can't survive. Two companies can't survive. Go to bed with that thought tonight. And I'm glad you said that because it was just, it wasn't bad on his part. Other wrestlers this would be a great promo from, but for him it's fucking awful. It's terrible, yeah. It wasn't bad on his part. I think it was bad on the part of Eric Bischoff. Saying, listen, we don't this want is you a scripted promo. Yeah, we don't want you screaming or woo, and we want you to, you know, talk like a normal person and your friend. You can voice, be and I'm Richard worried, Flair. I'm worried about my friend, Arn Anderson. He's worried about his friend that fought on the pre-show tonight. On the, He's on fine. Sa- on Saturday night, and is 
won his match in 40 seconds, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he beat Hugh Morris in 30 seconds. I'm really worried about that. He's the got guy. a broken arm. He, he, we're terrified he's never going to wrestle again. Oh, no, he beats Hugh Morris in 30 seconds. Buy some Hogwild merch. You too can own a Hogwild t-shirt for $21.95 plus $6 shipping. That's your gift next year for Christmas, Brenton. I looked on eBay already, guys. Well, I couldn't did find you it. Believe it or not, Alex owns a piece of Hogwild merchandise. Do you now? What is that? The Summon the Demon King sweater. Finn Balor merchandise counts, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's wild about his hog? I don't know. Hogwild. It's all over the Twitter. Lights up when Balor's on screen. Is he going to make it to the match tonight, or is he still got... He's got a... He had an illness. An undisclosed illness. But he he worked the house show last night, so he's going You can buy a Hogwild t-shirt for $22, or the amazing denim jacket that everyone's wearing for $89.95 plus $9.95 shipping. Yes, $100 for this fucking Hogwild jacket. This awful monstrosity. But I did look on eBay for you guys for a Hogwild jacket. Couldn't find one. I go in there about once a week looking for a Jeff Jarrett guitar, a foam guitar for Brenton. Well, I've got a safe search and nothing's coming up. Yeah, I I get Google alerts for Jeff Jarrett guitar. I never get one. I want a slap nut shirt. That's all I want. I believe his... He, he is on Pro Wrestling The Pro Wrestling Tees has Oh, it. is he? He's on there now. Yeah, but Slap Nuts is spelled with a Z at the end instead oh, of Oh, see, that's bullshit. Oh, he's like Big Kaz. Yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> Well, I hope oh, not. Oh, by the way, <laughs> by yeah, the way, yeah. unfortunately, last Saturday, Big Cass. Oh, that was awful. That video was awful. Big Cass or Kaz, as you've got to call him now. Uh, Logging in the Kaz mission. <laughs> oh, suffered God. a seizure backstage at House of Hearts. It wasn't backstage. It was ringside. Oh, was it during ringside? Yeah. They, during the, the, the video event? of it's awful. Really? Yeah. You know the crazy thing? Still better than his matches with Daniel Bryan. <laughs> wow. Wow. That little person he beat up was probably like, karma. That's what you get. <laughs> so up next, we have Sonny Ono out on his motorcycle bringing out Bull Nakano. His crotch rocket. Yeah, so in Sturgis, that's a sin to ride yeah. a motorcycle not built in the fucking U.S. Yeah, you're right. Get out a, of here. Japanese crotch rocket. Medusa, of course, rides out on a Harley Davidson because she is America. A, She's a, made in the U.S.A. A pink Harley Davidson. Why does that have to be pink? Why can't it just be? What if that's the color she wanted? It was whatever they gave her. I'm sure she didn't. Well, I'm just saying that's that's sexist. Maybe that you know. Maybe she didn't want pink. Maybe she doesn't even like pink. So Bull <laughs> to start the match uses fucking nunchucks on Medusa. Could this be more racist? Oh yeah. Why doesn't she just take a katana out and just fucking? D- decapitator right there. This is after the ref took her Triple H hammer away as she was just going to sledgehammer the shit out of her. Yeah. Nope. Nunchucks. The winner of this match gets to beat the shit out of the loser's motorcycle. But see, the way they they put it, I thought you won the motorcycle. So I thought it was really stupid that she beat up the motorcycle she just won. That's that's the reasoning behind the sledgehammer being at ringside. Nakano flings Medusa by the hair. She tries a Chris Jericho come on baby pose. She only gets a one count from it. This this pose never works for anybody. Nakano locks Medusa into an inverted surfboard for a moment and goes to that rear chin lock that I love so much. Medusa then hits a Hurricane Rana for a two count. A spin wheel kick to Nakano. Tries another one, but Medusa gets decked with a clothesline. A bridging German to Nakano for a two count. Nakano then hits a bridging back suplex for a near fall that Medusa barely gets a shoulder up for. She almost lost the match accidentally here. Nakano hits a bridging suplex for a... What the fuck happened here? The ref counts to three. 
Then Medusa kicks out. But Nakano just goes ahead and leaves the ring. Won the match. We're done. The ref, he couldn't stop her before she walked out of the ring saying, oh, I fucked up. Don't leave yet. But yeah, that was just it. Do you know who this ref was? I don't know. Who was it? I don't know either. He Obviously, this was his last night. Yeah, he sucks here. So he counted to three. The bell didn't ring, but whatever. So Nakano, going home, going back to Japan. Job well done. Sonny Ono gets a hold of Sledgehammer. Yes, gets that Sledgehammer that we had taken away earlier. And he's waiting for Medusa to cut him off and basically not let him beat the shit out of her Harley. Well, yeah, we would find out later on that Medusa actually won. Yeah. So he has no right to beat up this motorcycle. But... It would go on that, like, he's fuck up. They're trying to get by the skin of their skin of their ass. Now, split natu- second. Yeah, naturally, when you want to beat up someone's motorcycle, what you do is you take the hammer and you swing it at the seat as slowly as possible Yeah, to do zero damage, yes. which is what Sonny Ono did to Medusa's Harley. To bide more time for her to get out there and cut him off grab the sledgehammer, walk over to the crotch rocket, and proceed to just well away on this damn thing. Well, she sucks at beating up this motorcycle. There's like a stage on Street Fighter, I'm pretty sure, where you beat up a car. Yeah. She doesn't know how to fucking do this because she has... She's hitting the side of it and... Nothing happens. Nothing was happening. So she finally goes and knocks out the headlight. Then she finally hits the side and breaks a piece off. Then she says, just fuck this, and just pushes it over. Pushes it the first time, and it went nowhere, by the way. She had to push it twice to get it over. Well, this is the only thing that got over in the match. As Medusa uh, barely defeated this motorcycle. Then the ref comes out and raises her hand. Because apparently, you see, Patrick, Bull Nakano's shoulders were down. Even though they weren't. That's what they said. She was on her stomach. No, she was in a bridging move but the camera angle you can't tell if her shoulders are up or down gotcha. the ref couldn't tell from where he was at gotcha. so this match is just a clusterfuck even though it was actually going pretty well between the two of them before they up oh, you guys gotta stop we gotta save 30 minutes for the next match so these last two matches yeah well and the last match of the night would be shit so i thought it was okay yeah, it was preparing I can't us. even i can't even say that however this next match was Awesome. So anyway, we go backstage to see the Steiner brothers on CompuServe chatting with fans. I don't think you have Scott them. or Rick know how to use a computer. The Steiner brothers have the denim jackets too with the sleeves cut off. These things, like I said, too expensive to cut the sleeves off of. Right. And so as Scott Steiner is one finger poking to answer questions, Rick is like, fuck that. And he's sitting there playing games. 96. Yeah, they would have had like Doom or something to play that was fun. Tony tosses it to Mean Gene, but he's not there. So they bring out Dean Malenko, who for some reason gets a congrats from Jimmy Hart. It was a really weird thing that made no fucking sense. So yeah, Dean Malenko gets a congrats from Jimmy Hart as he's walking out because Jimmy Hart got him a cruiserweight title match. But not tonight, just sometime in the future. No, he's going to get one if he can annihilate Chris Benoit here in this match. What sense does that make? What does that... I don't understand. Because the the Dungeon of Doom? They're they're fighting the Four Horsemen as well as... The NWO. The NWO. Well, well, and, yeah, so... That's why the NWO was on top for so long. Yeah, because they were 
beating the Dungeon of Doom like everybody. He's out with Chris Benoit, who's out with Woman and Liz. Benoit double-eggs Malenko as soon as the match begins and throws some strikes. Malenko hits a nice delayed vertical suplex for a near fall, then a neck breaker and an elbow for a near fall. Malenko locks Benoit's arm in his legs, and Benoit deadlifts him from the ground and just slams him. Dusty's commentary really takes away from this match. He doesn't know what the fuck is going on. No. Who these people are, why they're fighting. Benoit hits a couple of snap suplexes and nails Malenko with the flying headbutt. His finisher gets a two count. Benoit is upset with the ref's count here. Malenko then tombstones Benoit and tries to cover him multiple times, but every time just gets two. So we have two finishers basically here. Right. No problem. Malenko tries the cloverleaf on Benoit, who rolls him up for a near fall. Malenko crossbodies Benoit and himself over the top rope. Malenko goes to the top turnbuckle, but Benoit superplexes him and lands him on the back of his own head. Ouch. Which, with this and the flying headbutt, all I could think about is concussion trauma here. Brain trauma to Chris Benoit. Malenko recovers and hits a release German for a near fall. A belly-to-belly from Malenko to Benoit for a two-count. A bridging Northern Lights from Benoit for a two-count. A bridging German for a two-count. David Penzer then says there's five minutes remaining. A lion tamer to Malenko from Benoit, which I didn't know this was in Benoit's move set because we saw it on the Nitro that he Man, was on. A thousand holds. No, it's Benoit that did it. Oh, Benoit. No, I did not know Benoit was was capable of this. Benoit just gives it up. Malenko then gets out of the ring, and Benoit hits a crossbody to him on the ring mats, and they smack into the mats. Then Benoit power bombs him for a near fall. They'd been wrestling for a really long time at this point, so I wondered how hot it was that day in Sturgis. It was only 59 degrees. That's the kind of fandom I had. I, I looked up the temperature in Sturgis on this day in 1996. 59 degrees. Yes. Does that factor in how you perceive this match? Yes, I think so. Cause Dude, man, they really wanted these bikers to know what real wrestling was all about. Unfortunately, it just went on a little too long, I'm afraid. Benoit goes for the headbutt again, but Malenko superplexes him instead. The time expires, so we have a time limit draw. This is after Malenko powerbombed Benoit, and the match is over, and the crowd boos. So wonderful. The right. crowd with free tickets boo again. Next match. No, no, no. See, woman asks the ref, please restart the match. That was good enough. So Nick Patrick says, okay, there must be a winner. There must be a winner in this match that involves no title, no stipulation, nothing. No heat. Winner gets more money. Oh, the winner's purse, of Well, yeah, course. that's yeah. true. The winner's purse. Well, if you finish in a draw, do you just split the winner's purse? Wouldn't it be better to just do that? Is this like deal or no deal? Do you want to try no, for I'll a I'll take win- the loser's money before I'm splitting the winnings. In my official rule book that I'm definitely really reading right now, in the case of a draw, they would both take the loser's purse. Oh, they're both losers. Okay, okay. yeah. So we restart the match for the first time. We get a back suplex to Malenko for a near fall, a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker for two to Malenko from Benoit. Then Malenko gets put in the Texas Cloverleaf by Benoit. Benoit just gives it up after a few minutes because yeah. Malenko's not tapping out. He's not going to the ropes. I'll just give it up. We'll try something else. The thing about a submission hold is the longer it's <laughs> kept in, the easier it is to deal with it. It doesn't weaken you. It just eventually plateaus, clearly. It actually makes you stronger, I think, the longer you're in it. You got to Hulk up. You have no your Hulkameter isn't filled until you're in the submission, certain amount of time. So then Malenko hits an insiguri to Benoit. Benoit slaps on another leg lock to Malenko. Then Benoit inside cradles Malenko, and time runs out again. That's it. Next match. But Nick Patrick says no, 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 more match, and the crowd fucking boo this decision. Like the crowd is like, no, we've seen enough. 
We don't know who these people are. We only know who Hulk Hogan is. We came to see Hogan. Fuck this. Yeah. So they start the match again. We get a dragon suplex to Malenko for a two count. Benoit shoots Malenko into the ropes. Benoit leaps, but Malenko catches the ropes. So Malenko puts him in a clover leaf. And then an STF. Woman, though, grabs Malenko's hand. And Benoit rolls him up and wins the match. What a shitty ending to this entire thing. Yep. Why would Nick Patrick... I understand the first restart, maybe, if you want to do that. Yeah. Why would you even set a time limit? Because it's sudden death. There must be a winner. He already said it. He stops the fucking match again. Patrick, you're a ref. Have you ever done that? No. Just fucking stupid. They went for 30 fucking minutes here to end on a bullshit finish. Why didn't woman just help him out, I don't know, 25 minutes ago? Yeah. If it was just going to be a fuck finish anyway... Which, by the way, woman interferes in another match tonight, so they fucking did the same thing twice on the same show. The exact same fucking finish. And this one in a 30-minute fucking with, grueling... With only one match to separate them as well. Yeah, this was fucking stupid. Yeah. Now, they ruined all the work these guys put in. Every bit of it. And then... Yeah, nothing makes me quite as mad as seeing a long, good match in like that. Because, like, all this time you've invested into watching it as a viewer is like, oh, none of that matters. That's very true. Yeah, I would have rather this just been a fuck finish in 15 minutes than I've sat through 30 just to get a yeah, roll they up. Went, they went almost 35 minutes. Yeah, it was nuts. In the middle of this fucking show, like... In the uh, middle of bikers. With nothing... There's no storyline to this match. Not a damn thing. The only thing in all seriousness... And the crowd, you know they didn't like it, Patrick, because when the match was over, they didn't rev their fucking motorcycles. That's how they showed appreciation in Sturgis. The only thing in all seriousness going through my mind, though, in this match was the head trauma that Benoit just kept taking over and over and over. Yeah, he took the majority of the suplexes. He took the superplex where he landed on his head, and he did the headbutt. Yeah. And yeah, knowing what happened with Benoit, every time I watch a Benoit match and anything happens to his head, I'm like, oh no. Yeah. He was really fucking skinny here too. Like, he almost looks like a completely different person. And he has his mullet going on. Yes. Yeah, we had that. For 30 fucking minutes, I saw the timeline on the network and I saw the two dots and I was like, surely this is a mistake. And now they bookmark Benoit matches. They used to not do that. But now it's always the other wrestlers in singles action. It's just Dean Malenko versus nobody. Yeah. So, so they actually mark it now? Yeah, they do, yeah. They Dean, bookmark it, but they won't type They don't say who name. else is in yeah. the match. It's just, or if it's a multi-man match, it just says multi-man match, like TLC match. Yeah. Hmm, is this Benoit or Snuka? <laughs> no, Snuka gets a video tribute on Raw, of course. But Benoit, Benoit did too, but they pulled it really quickly. Oh, well, that was before they knew for sure. <laughs> he got yeah. a whole three hours dedicated yeah, to it. Yeah, he got three yeah. hours dedicated uh, three, to it. Before the show was three hours every week. Yeah. And they canceled the whole fucking show, too, like, even like Roz Owen and they like turned, they hashtag turned, they knew, but they turned fans away, and that was a, no, yeah, they it the, was an empty house. The They've been doing that for in, years. We were going to learn the fate of Vince McMahon, who blew up in a limo. Yeah. Who I found out this week, I read an article. Donald Trump actually bought that Vince McMahon blew up in a fucking limo and called WWE headquarters to check on his friend Vince. I have no problem believing that. Yeah, I absolutely believe it, but it's fucking scary. The president was over at WWE.com. The president? <laughs> yeah. The WWE flag was at half staff, so of course it happened. Really? They did lower the, the WWE flag on the president Stanford. of our com- the president of our country. Bought into a fucking wrestling storyline. Bought into a wrestling story. 
You know what? That's good writing right there. <laughs> I don't know. It's just very scary to think about. You know, sometimes you hear people say that wrestling caters to the lowest common denominator, but then you hear stuff like that, and it's like, I don't know. <laughs> the World Tag Team title match is next. The Steiners are out first. They're taking on Harlem Heat. Oh, my God. <laughs> is this Scott's physique? Is this Scott what was jacked out of his mind. You know what? I don't buy that. He's always been... He's never touched the juice, man. I That's can tell. Bullshit. He took That's like natural. He took like double doses for this pay-per-view. He is... Oh, my... Dude, seriously. And we saw the Nitro two weeks before, and I think he's way bigger than that just in this pay-per-view. He's half as wide standing sideways as I am like body size. I mean, he's just massive, man. He is. First one in the gym, last one out. <laughs> yeah. Put in the work, man. You're just jealous. Gains on gains on gains. Samoa Joe, you're just fat. They're taking on Harlem Heat with Colonel Parker and Sherry. Now, Harlem Heat, by the way, this was one of the worst things they did on Nitro. So the NWO fucked over Sting and Luger, who had the belts, while they were fighting Harlem Heat. For some reason, the NWO fucking helped out Harlem Heat. Now, the NWO, the invading forces, so Harlem Heat gets the belts, and instead of going and attacking the NWO or just running away, they fucking pose right behind Hall and Nash after they won the title. Like, yeah, thanks, guys. Really? Yes, it was... So fucking stupid. Harlem Heat has the belt from with help from the NWO, so they are the champions. The crowd start revving their motorcycles at Harlem Heat now. Unfortunately, it's just fact that a lot of motorcycle clubs have racist undertones to them. And so when you Do saw, they now? I was not aware of this. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> so, unfortunately, when the two guys named Harlem Heat, the former Ebony Experience, Experience yeah, yes. came out, Crowd didn't really like them, Patrick. Dude. Not at all. And, and they let them fucking know it. There was a They didn't lot. do anything to generate any of this heat from this crowd. No. This crowd doesn't know who the fuck they are. No, they're just because they're, they're black walking guys. out and they're they're black. They were like or African American. That they were extremely hated. Also and, not a good look to have Colonel Parker walking out the two black people. I've been saying that all along. Sherry is okay, I guess. Yeah, I've been saying that all along. When they put Colonel Parker with them, I was like, okay, this is way <laughs> This too- is a little weird. You have an, an old a plantation southern, owner. An old southern man walking out two African-American males. It just did not look proper. Tennessee Lee was much more at home with Double J. Yes. Yeah, who he called the world's greatest lover. So really? How did he find that out? I'll take his word for it. Yeah. <laughs> so the crowd is just angry as hell at Harlem Heat. And Harlem Heat milks the heat. They're just happy to oh, get yeah. some response. So they walk around and they, they take it all in. But, man, dude, there was, like, a lot of racist shit even being, like, They yell- threw fucking ye- water bottles yelled and shit at, at them. Yeah. Yelled at them coming up, the, coming up the ramp, going down the ramp. I mean, before the match, they're throwing shit at them. Oh, Scott starts with Booker T. It's a double underhook powerbomb to Booker. Then Rick clotheslines Stevie Ray as Harlem Heat bail outside to regroup. Scott press slams Booker and does the corner punches. Sherry and Colonel Parker bark orders at Harlem Heat. Stevie Ray comes in against Scott, body slams him, and puts the boot to him. Booker comes in and hits a sidewalk slam to Scott. Belly to belly to Booker from Scott for a near fall. Rick tags in, vertical suplexes Booker for a near fall. Booker tries a leapfrog over Rick, but gets slammed for a near fall, which just looked really good because, like, Rick caught him in midair. I, 
don't recall seeing that very often. Rick gets thrown out of the ring by Booker and Stevie puts the boots to him. The lights are turned on as the sun sets here in Sturgis, so the lighting changes. Booker locks in a long chin lock to Rick and slams him. We get the spin rooney and a Harlem sidekick to Rick, and Booker tags in Stevie. Stevie vertical suplexes Rick for a near fall, slaps on the Magna Claw. Then Booker tags in, misses an elbow drop from the second rope. Rick makes the hot tag to Scott. Scott runs wild, clotheslines Harlem Heat. Belly to belly's Booker. Then Rick takes Stevie out. Colonel Parker gets some freedom powder out and hands it to Sherry, but he throws it in the face of his own man, Booker, by accident. But good thing Sherry had some freedom powder too, Patrick, because she had some left to throw in Scott's face. Despite being blinded by the powder, Booker still can see Scott and cover him after this distraction. It also helped that Colonel Parker hit Scott with his cane, breaks it in half, and Booker covers Scott for the win. He broke the damn cane over his head. Yeah, well, and the ref had to play pretend like there's not fucking powder everywhere. Everywhere. Man, Stevie Ray is fucking useless, and this match really showcased <laughs> it because when he came in, he would do one move and then be like, okay, time to tag back out. And unfortunately... Scott was not in the match very long. And Scott, at this point in their career, Scott was the better worker than Rick. And Rick just, they put the heat on Rick forever. And Scott, when he came in, he looked great. But he was only in the first part of the match in the very end. So, yeah. not a very good. Rick had a big future coming for him, though. Oh, yeah. Had a great he was future. Gonna, he was going to be interviewing Chucky real soon. So. Well, and he was going to be teaming with the guy from High Voltage very soon. So, yeah. Things were really going to go well for Rick. And Rick's my... He had a job on the school board coming up, too. So. Rick actually is is my favorite Steiner. Well, in the on. early incarnation of the Steiner brothers, he was the better wrestler. Now, Alex, how would you rank the Steiners? I would put Brad Steiner at the very top, of course, and then Scott, and then Rick. That's weird. My list is completely inverted. Oh, that... We go to another helicopter shot of Sturgis as Tony is tossing the highlights and mentions we're looking at the racetrack in Sturgis. Dusty hilariously says, no, that's not the racetrack. It's the high school football field. <laughs> as Tony doesn't know what a racetrack looks like. That that's If Dusty is correcting you, you're in. It's rough. Yeah. We get a montage of the WCW guys getting on their Harleys to ride to South Dakota. They started at the Mall of America and went on a nice eight-hour ride. Just... Scott Steiner shirtless, eight hours on the road, just you and the boys. How okay? And Medusa. First of all, how the fuck was he not tanned up one side and down the other, like sunburnt, blistered tan? Time for the U.S. heavyweight title match. Babyface Eddie Guerrero is challenging Ric Flair. That's right, Ric Flair, the main eventer of the '80s in the NWA, is now fucking the U.S. champion. He's toting around a mid-card belt for some reason. They put on a terrible you, match. You could honestly look at this match and see Eddie was terrified about what if I screw up because there was he was not on his A game. No, I think Ric Flair wasn't on his A game. This was like a Ric Flair TV match. He just really? did all the – I felt Rick did all the same. He did a Ric Flair match, which unfortunately I love Ric Flair, but – he just goes through the motions. He gets slammed off the top. He does the flare flop. He does the flare flip. He lets Eddie put him in a figure four. It was like 
a lot of times on TV, Ric Flair phones in. And this match, again, another match without a real big storyline to it. Right. So when Flair doesn't, he's a great storyline wrestler. Like he, in a feud that means something, like him and Ricky Steamboat, like there's something there between the two of them. But in a, just a random match, I don't really want Ric Flair in just a random match. Do you think it's a case of when he's either holding a mid-card belt or just wrestling a mid-card match, he doesn't want to go that extra mile because he feels like he deserves to be higher than that? Kind of like a reverse Cena, where yeah, he that, gets the U.S. title and he's like, I'm going to go out there and have a banger every week. I, I'm starting, my personal opinion is I'm starting to think around this time, he's he sees the ship kind of starting to turn the other direction and start sinking. And he even has made multiple times well, he hated WCW. Well, he said he liked it until a certain point with the NWO, and when that started, it just it went downhill from there. And so... I mean, his age, how old was he at that point? Because he was still good in the ring, but he was also past his prime, so... Early he was like 50s. late 40s, I think. But Oh, okay. So we shouldn't really expect the 80s NWA flair. Yeah, but I, I do think it's a case of what well, you said when he's, he's just got a mid-card belt. He's a heel... But he can't be a heel because we're in gang warfare. I gotta, I gotta beg to differ, Brenton, because he would come back and have some outstanding matches with Carlito, is what you in said. WWE though. So um, he would have good matches, but is he the type that he's going to go out there every night and oh deliver hit, every single time? A hit lot a of home his, run just because he's Babe Ruth doesn't mean every single pitch is a home run. That's true. That's very true. He's the Babe Ruth of wrestling, but I agree, he's not going to hit that home run every time. And there's probably some truth that Eddie wasn't putting on a great show. I don't see Eddie as being a real motorcycle guy. Like, I don't see him as wanting to hang out in Sturgis, South Dakota. I don't see either one of these guys riding to the show. Well, yeah. I mean, Flair's in a limo, of course. Yeah, yeah. Eddie's another guy who, when he was on, he was hard to top. But if he wasn't into something, you're going to see it in his effort, like... The first thing that comes to mind is the first one-night stand match against Benoit. Oh, yeah, where he just didn't give a fuck. Yeah, he he wanted to go over. He wasn't, so he just kind of went through the motions. Well, they have a shoving match to begin with. This is, of course, bland babyface Eddie Guerrero and his white. There is no worse color tights for a wrestler than a full body suit that's white. This, this looked awful. They have a shoving match to begin. Then Flair shoves the ref, who shoves him back. So the ref... Getting some uh, work in here. Ref's not taking shit tonight. They have a chop battle. A big back body drop to Flair as the lights go out. WCW didn't pay their light bill here. They go out over the ring. Then Tony covers it up poorly by saying, oh, the sun is setting. No, that's fucking lights. That is not the sun setting. The sun's been setting for an hour. Flair flips over the ropes, and Eddie drop kicks him down to the ring mats. Flair low blows Eddie right in front of the ref. That's fine, though. Eddie hits a crossbody for two. Tries a sunset flip off the top turnbuckle, but Flair counters with throwing a punch. Then Eddie puts Rick in the figure four, of course, as all wrestlers that face Flair have to do. But Flair gets the ropes. Eddie walks the ropes for a hurricane run on Flair for a two count. Eddie does the Flair strut for a second, which is also a trope of wrestling Ric Flair. Then Flair gets slammed off the turnbuckle, as per usual. Then a sunset flip, and Flair gets his ass out. All the, all the greatest hits here. As Flair gets his bare ass out. These fans at Sturgis love to see Ric Flair's bare ass. That's what they came for. Yeah. 
Eddie gets the frog splash, but oh no, he fucked up his own knee hitting his own finisher. Well, maybe you need a new finisher, is what I would say. Unlike Rob Van Dam, who always got hurt doing his own move. Flair puts Eddie in the figure four, and Woman holds his leg while Eddie's shoulders are on the mat. One, two, three. Ric Flair retains his title with the same exact finish that we saw just a match ago. Yeah. So, great, great stuff here. Ric Flair retains that coveted U.S. belt that he would probably drop to, like, Ming or somebody. I don't know who he dropped it to. I have no idea who he dropped it to. He probably just dropped it in the garbage. and Jim Duggan found it. (laughs) Mean Gene is with Giant and Jimmy Hart. Giant says he was a Hulk Hogan fan when he was a kid. Hold on a fucking second. You're Andre the Giant's kid. You were not a fan of fucking Hulk Hogan. You are a fucking liar. I'm starting to think there's something up with the Giant. Lion. The outsiders then come out. It's time to take on the man called Sting and Lex Luger. Big pyro for Sting and Lex Luger's entrance, and they totally fucking ignore it. They just they look back and they're like, oh, look at that. And they walk to the ring. The outsiders, in natural fashion, this was probably a shoot. They paper rock scissors to see who's going to actually have to work this match in the beginning. They both picked scissors at the start, so then they had to turn around and do it again. Hall loses. So he starts the match. Lex will start for the faces. He throws a toothpick in Sting's face. Hall back body drops Luger and then does Lex's pose in his face with his flexing. Luger hip tosses Hall, hits a knee lift, and then scoop slams him. Nash tags in. Luger makes his picks dance as uh, Nash comes in. Why did he do this? Why is this? Is this an intimidation thing? I can make my boobs dance for you? I guess. Fear me. Nash spits in Sting's face, which was gross. Oh, dude. So Sting tags in and spits on Nash, but Nash is so tall he just spits on his chest. Yes. Not his. Sting tries to take the big man off his feet with strikes, but ends up thumbing him in the eyes and scoop slamming him like a dirty heel. Snake eyes to Sting from Nash, and then Hall clotheslines him. The heels keep Sting in their corner. Nash does his corner knees to Sting and elbows. Then Hall tags in. Does his fall away slam to Sting. Hall and Nash just get the heat on Sting forever. Sting does his falling headbutt to the groin on Nash. Then Nash big boots Sting and tags in Hall while calling for the outsider's edge. Luger gets the hot tag. Lariats for the outsiders. Bionic forearm to Hall. Stinger splash to Nash. Then the scorpion deathlock to Nash on the outside of the ring, which can't win the match. A torture rack attempt to Nick Patrick takes a ref bump. And then chop blocks Lex Luger. That dirty, dirty heel. So Nick Patrick turns heel here. Chop blocks Luger, and then Hall just falls on him, and Nick Patrick fast counts him and rolls out of the ring. This was not good refereeing, Patrick. No. I think Nick Patrick may be up to something. So the NWO has their referee, Patrick. He's in their pocket. I'm thinking so. For a while, though, he would wrestle in that uh, ski mask, so you wouldn't know it was him, but until he started counting and he did that fucking floppy wrist shit, I hate the way Nick Patrick counts. What is that? Why who why does he count like that? Brent? Before he became a referee, he had an office job. And you know, back in those days those heavy typewriters caused a lot of strain on the wrist, so had carpal tunnel. And being with a young upstart company like Turner, they didn't have the money to get that fixed, so his arm just kinda flopped. I can't believe he got a job in WWE afterwards. He I, I believe They said we like your counting so much. I believe that story, Brenton. As I mentioned earlier, Heenan's commentary tonight was crushing me, and it was really yeah, apparent was. during the NWO matches especially because yeah. he didn't know what to say. He didn't know who to root for. So, you know, he's doing the whole heel thing like he always has, but he's rooting for the – I mean, he's – So Tony and Dusty bust his balls about calling 
the match for the bad guys. Yeah. But that's what he does. That's well, yeah. That's what he's always done. The World Heavyweight title match is next, what we've all been waiting for. Michael Buffer is way overdressed for Sturgis, South Dakota Motorcycle Festival here as he's in his tuxedo. And the crowd, hey, this great announcer's here. That's all rev our motorcycles, so we can't fucking hear him. That's true. And he has to scream his normal Michael Buffer promo. Let's get ready to rumble. Hogan is out first. Okay. This man, you could tell by the way his eyes were wandering, and he was really scared. Not by wrestling, but by the environment he was in, the fact that he just did the heel turn, and it was his first match after it. You say that, but I'm pretty sure during this match I heard Hogan chants. I don't think this crowd knows he's a bad guy. They don't know anything about the storyline, but they know who Hulk Hogan is. Well, then why can why do you think he was so just like worrying and, and eyes wandering and all that? This was all psychology, brother. Oh, because that's how he wrestles the match to start out with. He refuses to do any work. So Giant is out next, and he gets some pyro, but it's yellow and red pyro. So like I said before, the pyro budget was already spent, so... That's just what we have. I mean, it's already done up, so here it is. He's out with Jimmy Hart. Would Jimmy Hart help him win this match? No, not not at all. Hogan stalls for ages, even walks away from the fucking match. So this is his title shot. This is what he wants. He's already beaten the Giant before. That's right. He's beaten his dad, too. He's beaten everybody. What's he scared of? I don't know. Giant no-sells Hogan strikes, and he bails again. So Hogan walks out of the ring again. Giant shoulder blocks Hogan, and guess what? He bails out of the ring a third time. Then he hits a side suplex to Hogan, and guess fucking what, Patrick? He walks out of the ring again. So far, I think this match might be worse than Warrior and Hogan at Halloween Havoc. (laughs) Wow. A test of strength. Giant wins it, of course, for a second, and then, of course, this is Hulk Hogan we're talking about. Hulk Hogan puts Giant on his knees with the strength of his arms. The largest arms in the world. Yeah, this 24-inch python. I call bullshit. Then Giant reverses the pressure and wins the test of strength. But then Hogan gets Giant's arm in a wrist lock, which would be his strategy from here on out. He works this wrist lock for ages, finally drops a leg on it. Giant eventually wakes up, headbutts Hogan, and guess fucking what? Hogan bails out of the ring again. He drags Giant out of the ring this time and rakes his back. Then he tries to ram Giant's head into the post, but Giant rams Hogan shoulder first into the post instead. They get back in the ring. Giant hits a massive backbreaker on Hogan, but Hogan gets a foot on the ropes. Giant body slams Hogan, misses a leaping elbow drop. Then Giant hulks up on Hulk Hogan, points the finger and everything. Foreshadowing of the showster that we would see later on that's, in his career. That's very true. Big Show gives him the big boot, but calls for a choke slam instead of just hitting the big leg. He learned nothing from Hulk Hogan. Here comes Scott Hall into the ring. Where is WCW to save their champion? Where is Sting and Luger to uh, yeah. avenge their loss that they just had? Where is Ric Flair? Where is the rest of the Dungeon of Doom? Nowhere. They're on, they're on their motorcycles heading back home. So Hall comes into the ring but gets slammed off the turnbuckle. Pee Wee Anderson just lets this go. Oh, this seems normal. 
Nash comes in and gets choke slammed, but then Hogan grabs the world title belt, belt shots Giant, and Pee Wee Anderson, with two NWO guys right beside him, counts this pin and fucks over his own company. Yes. And Hulk and Hulk Hogan is now the NWO world champion. This match fucking blew. Scott Norton and Ice Train earlier, I thought that was bad, but this is bad because this actually had... That match wasn't even supposed to be on the card. This was the main event. This was what you paid money to see. Well, nobody paid money. Well, nobody at Sturgis paid anything for it. So right. in that case, it was great for them. Yeah. This fucking sucked. This was awful. WCW looks like fucking idiots. The Giant looks like an idiot. Jimmy Hart didn't do shit. Yeah, they fucking lost. Yeah. Got their belt spray painted. Congrats, guys. But the best part of this match, still to come, is Ed Leslie. That's right. The booty man. He thinks he's going to join the NWO. He went and got the airbrush t-shirt. He did. Because they didn't have their merch yet. He did. And he bought a birthday cake. Now, Patrick, this is the only time in memory, in wrestling history, that a man brought a birthday cake to the ring and no one's face went into it. That's true. This was really... This is the rare unicorn of pro wrestling. Ed Leslie carries a birthday cake for the Hulkster. Hogan kisses him on the cheeks and then orders the NWO to beat him up. And it says, well, if I'll do that to my brother, brother, just imagine what I'll do to somebody else. They spray paint the belt. The booty man knows it's Hulk Hogan's birthday, brother. Yeah. And you know what? Now I'm gonna wish a happy birthday to me, brother. Yo, booty man. What a surprise. Hey, also, I just wanna say, first of all, congratulations on being the new NWO he is World Heavyweight Champion! He is the WCW Heavyweight Champion. Very simply put, that is a falsehood right there. In just a second, it's my pleasure to wish you, brother. A happy birthday in front of all these people at Starkin. Well, where's the members of the Dungeon Doom when you need them? Yeah. And last but not least, I just want to put my hand out and thank you for being there for me for 22 years, man. Congratulations, champ. Well, we have a you know something, booty man? I love you, man, like you're my own blood. You know something, man? For 20 years, brother, you and I have been hanging together. And to have you here with an NWO shirt on is something special. But you know something, brothers? Now that I'm the champion in Denver, Colorado, Ric Flair is gonna get the beating of his life. But you know something? There's something we all gotta learn here, man. The reason the NWO is so powerful the reason we're gonna make Ted Turner look like a second-class citizen, we're gonna wipe out the WCW, is that we never mix business with friendship or pleasure. And you know something, Ric Flair, we attacked the WCW for a reason, not because Arn Anderson was there. And so you showed your down card, brother. You got a soft spot, dude, for Arn Anderson. Well, this is my best friend here. And the one thing he's been driving me crazy about is the NWO, man. And now that we've got the mission accomplished, we want to tell you one thing, brother. They do not have We never, ever mix business 
with friendship, but this is a special occasion, man. And we got a surprise for you. You know what, brother? We got a surprise. Hold on. What in the world is going on? Get him, boys. Let's get Can him. Can you believe this? Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's, that's the true colors right there. This is what the NWO is all about. Backstabbing, lying. Hold him up, brother. Hold him up. Making examples of people. Years, he's been friend. Let me tell you something, Ric Flair. That is business, brother. And that was my best friend. If I'll do that to my best friend, what am I going to do to you in Denver, Colorado? The NWO rules, brother. Hulk Hogan is a very dangerous, sick oh, individual. Oh, you're bet on that. He's a very dangerous individual. What is, what, what's this? What do they have? Oh, that's spray paint. Oh, my God. They're going to spray paint. I cannot believe this. This is unbelievable. Somebody, somebody needs this is to go in my stomach right now. They are spray They have spray painted Tony, the NWO logo. Tony, forget what they're doing. The NWO is the only way to go. And what you got to do. This is scary. Ladies and gentlemen, the NWO in their most triumphant moment. They suck at the booty man to bring in the paint and the cake. They had blatantly attacked him. There's a message been sent out to Ric Flair. Apparently Hogan and Ric Flair will do battle at the Clash of the Champions this Thursday, live on TBS in Denver. And the giant laid out as Hogan, Hall, Nash, the Outsiders walk away. There is no question the NWO is a force. The end of you reckon with? Armageddon is about to wipe everybody say, out can, of the WCW. I can tell you right now Come that on, I don't man. know what is going to happen from this moment on. And that's it. One more helicopter shot for the night. And we're out as Tony, Bobby, and Dusty wrap things up. And we get the credits roll. As someone actually wanted to take credit for this <laughs> atrocity. So Yeah, it was, it was bad. Very bad. So Beefer's not the fourth man, we found out. No. I got a feeling the fourth man is Nick Patrick. So he was beating up people with baseball bats a couple weeks ago? Maybe. That would be pretty good, considering I think he was refing like, during the was attack. He that they, night? No, I think it was Randy Anderson. That's what I was thinking. It was Penny, Pee Wee Anderson. So. Who is the sixth man? This is to test your memory from two weeks ago. Ted DiBiase. Nope. Waltman. Yep. Yeah, because he was six. Motherfucker. Also... What is one plus two plus three? <laughs> Six. Edit the silence. Six. Shut yeah, up. so. Let's count it up to make sure I didn't want to say something stupid. So, Patrick, what are your thoughts on Hog Wild 1996? The world is waiting. It was terrible. Yeah, this was pretty dreadful. It had some good moments in the matches, but the matches were all structured really, really poorly. Especially the Benoit Malenko match had a lot of great stuff in it. But it was all for nothing. It was all for absolutely nothing. Yeah. The Mysterio Ultimate Dragon match was just high spot after high spot. Then just ended. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. And. Bull Nakano and Medusa was all screwed up. Fire and ice explode. Not exactly. Sting and Luger were not putting on their. Okay. Sting was not putting on his best match of the night. Well, he was getting ready to move to the rafters, so he was he was already growing his hair out, not dying it anymore. So he he had already checked out. 
By the way, Macho Man was still apparently in the limousine somewhere. He was nowhere to be found. That's true. No update on what happened to him. That's true. So there you go. Hogwild, fucking awful. What Terrible. a show. <laughs> what a show. What did you think of it? I've seen better shows, I'll be honest with you. Turns out some pro wrestling is hard to write. This this show was apparently hard to write for some reason. No, it wasn't hard to write. It was just hard for the wrestlers to actually give a damn. It was very polite of the NWO, this invading force, to wait until their match to do anything to WCW. Yeah. And just and also, it was it was really nice that the WCW production team had their theme song in a lower third for them, ready to go. Yep. And also that they would sanction a title match with someone who's not in the organization, even though... When Piper won it and he wasn't with the organization, no, that's not that doesn't count. Well, yeah. see, he signed a contract that said it was a non-title match. Oh, that's I'll never forget that because even as a kid, I was like stupid. <laughs> well, he doesn't want that. He's not interested in those accolades. He just wanted the satisfaction of knowing he could win. So, Patrick, on a rating scale, Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, Hogwild, nineteen ninety-six, Medusa. Oh, Medusa! Well. At least you didn't give it a Bull Nakano because her hair is pretty, pretty right. high up there. I'm going to give it a Sunny Ono. So we're, we're pretty when close. I, after I was done with this show, I said, oh, no. <laughs> so, Patrick, it's your pick for episode 102. Where are we going next week for Christmas? You know where we're going? I don't. No. We're going live from Chattanooga, Tennessee. You mean on tape from Chattanooga, Tennessee. They don't bring TV to our town anymore. They did this one year. Well, one. but it was... It was pre-recorded, I'm pretty sure, if it's this, the one I'm thinking of. It's one year only. December 25th, 2000, live from the McKenzie Arena. On tape from the McKenzie Arena. They were probably really concerned about their competition that night because Nitro just ran a best-of show. Raw So they probably war. put on their best show. Yeah. They put on the big show. Hopefully not the big show, but a show. Yeah. All right, that'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And what do you say at the end of these shows? My closing line's a clothesline. Wow. And then I say bingo, bango, right? Yeah, and then I'm actually going to clothesline Britain here. That's not part of the show. Oh, okay. That's not part of the show, guys. (laughs) (laughs) This is a shoot, brother. Oh, it's the ultimate swerve. Okay. (laughs) Wonderful.